running us podcast you guys are in a tr- for a treat today you know why we had the greatest eos interview episode in the history of the world you know the drill smash that like button hit the follow button so you can join us for these future greatest ever episodes because i guarantee <laughs> you there are more coming i'm cheney moore the cbo of crypto writer please check us out on voice where we try to be the best publication you can find out there on voice today follow us follow our writers it's a great place to be I'm uh, also here helping Zach out today. Zach, I'm being his co-host. Zach is the head of community at Liquid Apps. He's also a Vigor custodian and the host of the longest, longest running, running podcast. How, how many years has it been now, Zach? Uh, since March 2018. Guys, that's two and a half years if you're slow at math. And finally, you know, we have a little known employee of the small startup company, uh, it's out of Blackburg, Virginia, West Blackburg. Virginia out there. Uh, it's really, I'm Virginia. sorry if you have, I'm sorry. Sorry if you haven't heard about it before. Uh, the company is called block dot one block one B one. Uh, and, and he's the CTO from what I understand. So, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get to learn a little bit more about him today, but welcome guys, Dan Larimer to the show, Dan, I'm sorry. I can't, everybody knows who you are. I can't, I can't <laughs> hype it up any more than, than that. He's uh, the freedom you, engineer, the, the newly, uh, his new title is freedom engineer for anyone who watched the Mike Mahoney interview. I think we should uh, keep calling him that and make it stick. Um, we also have a, a disclaimer. Uh, this is Dan Larimer, the EOS community member as our guest. Um, he is here as an individual, he's not block one. There is a separation there. Um, this is Dan's opinions, Dan's thoughts. They do not necessarily represent block one. Uh, he is uh, one piece of a big puzzle there. So I just want to uh, say that up front before we get into this. Thank you. I don't think I don't think Dan said much. What's up? Thanks for having. Thanks for being <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, this, this is great. I'm loving the opportunity to engage with the community. It's been a lot of fun these past couple of weeks. Perfect. Well, thanks for being here. First off, uh, just want to say, as a pet owner, I'm sorry to hear about Delilah and Frodo lately. Uh, it, it. It, it's always always tough to lose a, a kid that way. You know, it's your pets, but it really it's your children to a certain aspect, especially when they're 14 years old or so, you know, get, get a long time. Uh, I understand I've got an 18-year-old Maine Coon that wakes me up every morning about 3.30, so they, 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 they grow on you. Do you... I, have any plans to adopt? Yeah, she's. I have a Maine Coon also. Yeah, nice. Saved yeah. her on the side of a a, a bayou. She was out there mm-hmm. in a February cold morning and went home with me and never left. Uh, any plans to adopt some new ones? Are you gonna gonna just uh, keep your eyes open? I'm sure eventually, but uh, you know, not right away. Sure, understood. Uh, Zach's right. Dan's here, kind of as individual member uh, for that regards. That, that even though uh, some of the interests that Dan has uh, may not necessarily align fully with with B one's roadmap and priority. So just keep in mind uh, from an EOS token holder's perspective that that even though EOS is a portion of the treasury, uh, the token holders align more so that that also that EOS is the public blockchain. It's B one's largest implementation of EOS IO software. Uh, so if EOS is viewed in a positive light and as, uh, as a winner, then it reflects greatly on, on B1. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, both Block One and I are, are uh, very interested in seeing EOS be successful. Uh, you know, we have a large number of tokens and uh, we're very um, excited to be able to engage more with the community uh, to, to make it successful together. 
Great. Uh, oh, we appreciate that. All right. All right. This is some softball questions here, Chaney. We everyone's well, expecting some hard hitting, energized, energized sure, questions. Sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll ask, are you trying to share your screen? We'll break. I'll do it right now. We'll break in there right now, Dan. Uh, so honestly, you, you recently said, and we'll just jump right into it. Uh, you recently replied to somebody, Zach. You may need to move that that footer out of the way. Thank you. That uh, Block One is heavily engaged in contributing to EOS development, and we know you you work on EOSIO uh, constantly and bringing out the software that we we implement, the BPs implement. Uh, working on one, bringing staking pools, a new resource model. By the way, those of you that haven't seen the couple of other episodes here recently that he did, uh, Dan get a great interpretation of of what the new resource model will look at. We may not talk about today, but go out there and see it. Uh, essentially you, you, you will own your house, but all property is rentable and you can't live in your house anymore. It'll free up a lot of, of resources. Maybe we'll get into that later, but the, what we want to talk about right now is improving the quality of block producers in your perspective, Dan, from your, in your opinion, what would improve the quality of a block producer? Well, the goal of, of the 21 block producers is to have 21 well-known entities that are known to be independent, not colluding, that have reputations that go well beyond just their role in EOS. Uh, and when you have that, you actually will have better feel of decentralization. You won't have the cartel feeling that uh, is commonly accused um, in the EOS community. Um, but I think that that's really what it's about, about, getting big names to come on and be block producers on the EOS network. Okay. So, so big names and, you know, go ahead, Zach. Yeah. So big, big names like what? I'm not at liberty to say. Uh, okay. That's smirk again. Yeah, you said the this, same this thing, Ivan. Exciting, exciting developments going on. Uh, we've been talking with lots of companies that are very excited about working with uh, EOSIO and EOS Mainnet. So let's, let's get to that tweet. Uh, I don't even need to pull it on screen. It's, uh, it says, I'm still sharing. Oh, uh, we are actively collaborating with uh, big tech companies and look forward to sharing more information about that. Yeah. Yes. What are we, what are we able, <laughs> yes. What are we, yes. I, I, I love it. All I, I can say is I'm, I'm excited right. as uh, I'm sure everyone in the audience is to, to see uh, the outcome of all of our hard work. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes at Block One to uh, advance both EOSIO and the EOS mainnet. Okay. Well, well, very good. Uh, we'll take you back to that that tweet then, real quick. Uh, we we talked a little about. We'll go to the resource model and the staking pools later. Then, you say heavily engaged and contribute to EOS development. Is, is there anything that that we may not be aware of yet, uh, or or some other things that 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 you can talk about today about EOS development that that may not be on our radar or. Uh, what, what well, else is what else can you say? As, as you guys are probably aware, you know, uh, the team from EOS New York has joined Block One, okay. uh, and and we've got an entire group dedicated to um, engaging with the community. Uh, a lot of this engagement is happening behind the scenes, talking with block producers, building consensus, things like that. Um, but we are being engaged there to make those types of things happen, to have planned upgrades for various things to build consensus and and really gather input from what the community is is feeling is necessary. So there's you know it's not 
just that we produce EOSIO, we're building upgrades for the system contract, the new um, resource model that you mentioned earlier, a staking model based on a blog post I made a while back. Uh, the idea is to align incentives for long-term holding to uh, encourage people to stake for different periods from, from months to years, you know, a decade even. Um, and that power should be allocated proportional to how long you've locked up your EOS, right? To your belief in the future value of um, EOS, you should get a higher return. So uh, I'm very excited about that resource model. We're doing code development. We're bringing in economists to uh, analyze and explain uh, the economic model uh, there. But fundamentally, the idea is to build a community and build a community of people that are interested in the long-term success of the platform uh, and to reward them for their long-term commitment to the platform. Uh, and that that the staking pools and inflation uh, being divided up allows us to transfer or redistribute, if you will, um, ownership from short-term holders to long-term holders. Because uh, the long-term holders are the ones that are building the future. They're the ones that are bringing the value. Uh, and it aligns their interest with better governance decisions. So by uh, having your voting weight go up as you stake more um, and you stake longer, uh, it will hopefully uh, change the perspective from short-term thinking to long-term thinking. Uh, simultaneously, by the way, the staking pools also can remove power from exchanges voting with users' deposits uh, because it, an exchange can't stake for 10 years if they have to allow deposits at any time. Sure. Um, so this mm -hmm. is also a means of decentralizing control away from um, exchanges or people just holding other people's deposits. Mm -hmm. I kind of remember uh, like 2017, maybe early 2018. What was your original vision for EOS? What uh, was the staking period? Wasn't it longer than three days originally? And then it got kind of trimmed down to three days. And how did you decide to make it three days on EOSIO for the unstake? Well, the staking period on EOSIO today is based on the window during which we're averaging resource usages. It's designed to prevent double spending of CPU and, and network. Um, it, to have a long enough window that's averaged over so that uh, so the equations work out right um, mm -hmm. so that you don't get uh, you can have bursts of stuff right if you have one if you can do one transaction every three days that was sort of like the minimum amount and if we made it a shorter w window then you'd have to have more state because you have to be able to do in theory one every single day uh, mm -hmm. would be the minimum uh, number of transactions so by expanding the window uh, it allows uh, less frequent usage, which allows less staking. So they've kind of settled on three days there. Um, but mm. the new model, is, it's more about long-term economic alignment um, instead of just uh, resource pool double spend prevention. Good. Mm -hmm. And what, what were the windows? So there was 10-year, 5-year, there was 12 months. The exact windows don't matter, but the idea is it should kind of be like a, a treasury market where you've got six months, one year, two years, five years. I, I think five years in crypto might as well be infinity. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, hopefully Bitcoin's been around for 10 years. I, I'm, I'm expecting EOS will still be around five and 10 years from now. Great.
You know, going back, Dan, just briefly, so people are asking the chat, you know, uh, about the BPs again. So I'll go back and just remind people. We had that last episode where uh, Eva Rose uh, was talking to us about, and we said what kind of company might be a partner or be a good BP. And uh, he mentioned big tech companies uh, and cloud service providers. He said Tencent, Alibaba Cloud, Amazon Web Service, Google Cloud Platform. Uh, and companies along those lines that already have the tech or already have the services could pretty uh, easily jump into the space. So just just for everybody else's uh, community. Yeah, those are exactly the type of people that we're looking for. Perfect. So uh, you want to just briefly, I mentioned it briefly, just people have asked and they're still concerned about it. You've talked about, re- about it, but uh, give us one more time in a short answer about one, how the new resource model frees up the resources that were previously being held by people that were staking it for really for safety purposes in a lot of cases with no intent to use it and how going to, if you will, a rent versus own methodology opens that resource up for everybody. It will actually allow EOS to uh, produce more usable transactions in the long run. Yeah. There's a certain number of transactions that it works capable of doing. And it's just a matter of, apportioning them among the users of the platform. Uh, the way the original e-source model is, it's like a piece of real estate you own. If you own 1% of the network, you can do 1% of the transactions. Uh, and the question is, how much of the network do you need to own and how many people own the network or own the tokens that aren't really even transacting on it, right? And what we know is that the majority of people uh, transact periodically, right? but not necessarily every single day or every, even every three days. Um, and so we have these resources that are not being used. And so how do you apportion those resources? Uh, so we introduced the RECs, which the idea there is that if you're not planning on using the resources, you can rent them for someone else to use. Uh, that's still following the ownership model. Um, but it created a double-sided market because you have supply and demand on one side for people wanting to stake and unstake. And you have supply and demand on the other side for people to want to borrow or, or rent the resources for use. Uh, and trying to make both of those markets simultaneously resulted in the price spikes and or it's really excessively cheap to get a whole bunch of resources, which resulted in spam for a while. Um, maybe there's still a little bit of spam going on um, today because of it. So the idea is... But what if all CPU time on the network was allocated just like the RAM on the network? The blockchain will lease CPU time uh, at reasonable prices, right? Not dirt bottom basement uh, prices. Uh, there'd be no more fractional um, reserve bonus resources, right? Uh, where people say, well, if no one else is using it, then I can get a hundred transactions. If everyone's using, it, I can only get one. What's going mm-hmm. on here, right? Creates that kind of unpredictability. So during congested period, uh, mm-hmm. is basically you're limited to one, which is what your resources would, uh, your tokens would represent under a hundred percent reserve system. Um, so by going to this new centralized rental model, all, all resources are hundred percent reserved. Everything is rented. So when you rent it, you know that you're going to get so many milliseconds of CPU time mm-hmm. um, per every three day, right? So you have predictability uh, in pricing, you have predictability in 
that your, your transactions will go through instead of having to worry about is it congested or is it not congested? Mm-hmm. You rent it, you got it. You need more, you rent more. Um, but then what we do is we take all the rental proceeds from that and we redistribute them back to all the people who are, are staked, uh, just like the Rex does. Which means, let's say you have a large number of tokens, you own 1% of the tokens, you stake them, you're going to get 1% of all of the rental income from all the people that need CPU. And then you can use that income to rent the resources you actually do need. So in a sense, you still have free transactions. We've just simplified the economic model so that it's more predictable, reliable, uh, and and more cost effective. Um, one of the other things that I wanna bring up while we're talking about resource pricing and, and whatnot is Sometimes pricing things too cheaply uh, can result in spam. Uh, hmm. right? There's not every transaction necessarily has economic value to a network. Uh, and there are externalities, right? If, if people are spamming the network, everyone in the world has to process them, filter them, do something with them. So there's a cost um, one way or another, which should probably be recognized. So with a new centralized model, we can kind of set a floor that says, you know what, if you're not willing to pay on average about one cent or half a cent per transaction, we don't want it on the network. If your business model, you know, that's just below a certain threshold, uh, that can eliminate spam and focus on applications that actually do justify a couple cents on the transaction fee. Uh, DeFi applications on Ethereum are paying $50 or more per transaction. Um, when EOs can mm-hmm. do them all for pennies. Uh, while still eliminating uh, the spam. So I'm really excited about the new resource model. Uh, I know that the block producers and the test nets are all trying it out right now uh, to phase from the the initial one. I think that fixing that resource model is going to be the single biggest thing to improve the usability of the EOS network um, and, and the overall user experience. I agree 100%. So cost has never been in it, even during the most congested times back last November when IDOS first hit, it wasn't necessarily the cost that messed things up. It was the inability to rent from Rex and the unpredictability, as you said. If, if you're a business and you're building your business on a, on a public blockchain, you need reliability, you need that 100% uptime and you need to be able to estimate your future costs. Yeah. And I, I I love this new concept and I can't wait to see it. And like you said, with the price floor, not only does it eliminate spam, but it should actually increase um, the, the proceeds going into Rex. So currently uh, in Rex, you're getting maybe a quarter of a percent interest APR. Um, but if there's a higher price floor, which would be a variable that I'm assuming the block producers could reach a consensus on, that's going to benefit all EOS token holders or any other version of EOSIO that wants to implement this, it's going to actually, that increase in the price floor is going to increase what's being sent back to the the, the pooled resources from the yeah, racks. The biggest difference is if by intentionally increasing the price floor, you still have all the capacity there. You're just focusing the mm-hmm. capacity on things that are value. And then as the valuable things grow, they don't hit a wall, right? Right now, DeFi takes off on Ethereum. They're already at capacity. Prices spike immediately. Right? We can set a price floor and we can be at that price floor for a very, very long time before prices actually have to start spiking because we, we get to real congestion. Um, and so that's a huge, huge difference uh, in how things operate. Oh, we've Janie, lost your audio. Just 
bounce out and come back. We'll, we'll get you back. So we're having a little bit of it. We had some issues earlier. Um, yeah. So with the, the resource model, like I was saying, like even at the most expensive, the transactions everywhere on EOS, they were still like one one thousandth of an Ethereum transaction. And that was at the time when Ethereum was much cheaper. You said $50 a transaction. I unstaked uh, from YFI, it paid $123. So it's just insane. For a complex transaction with all of these DeFi applications, a simple transaction, if I'm transferring Ethereum or transferring an ERC-20, it's between four to $8. But to do a complex transaction, like with the DeFi applications that use more computation resources, those ones, it's insane. Chin, are you able to talk? Not hearing you. Maybe we're the ones that need to reload. <laughs> um, hopefully, he'll be able to bounce back in. Um, man, that threw me off. Uh, so, oh, you're, he's back. Well, can I you hear the microphone? You're good. Well, that, Dan can't hear me. Dan can. All right. Um, I'll try one more time. I think. think yep. Dan's going to leave now. He's going to pop back in. I wonder what's going on here. Is it? Man. Can't hear you. Hopefully you guys can hear me. I could hear you. Oh, no. That's like the only one that you're back. You're back. Uh, you're now back. we're there. We're back. All right. Everybody can hear me? Yep. Okay. And now I'm gone. <laughs> we anyway, can All right. So, so Dan, just real quick. Will B1 be able to utilize uh, the resources or the, the resource model for its tokens that are still uh, locked up? Can it, can it, can it? Put uh, those indirects. Um, well, under the new model, be staking and resources are going to be completely separated. So, um, you know, we, currently I think we have like eight plus years on ours. So we'd probably just, you know, with communities approval, move it into the eight-year staking pool, uh, or okay. or something, so that now we actually are on equal terms as everyone else, um, instead of having special. Uh, consideration in the system contract. So that would be um, an option there, but those that, still being discussed and negotiated with the community. Okay. So let's, uh, let's look on here, uh, moving away from, from the, the pools and, and uh, a little bit about CPU and what's going to happen resources. So we, we've had some uh, information put out to us with regards to uh, your interview with Ivan on tech, you, where you talk about tax regulation is key. And you go on to say mm -hmm. that, and I'm quoting here, uh, an entity like a Bitfinex could offer a decentralized financial products through a company that already takes into account all the tax regulation and requires KYC. Uh, and this, this ring a bell with me because Brendan just mentioned uh, the month earlier in his Raw Paul interview that B1's financial product has been under development for over 18 months. And that seems to be a long time for a financial project to be developed unless you're trying to be tax compliant around the world and have a, a tax uh, compliant product. If such a product were to launch on EOS, what, what would be the impact impact for EOS? What, what would happen if, if, if uh, there was a tax compliant, regulation compliant financial product uh, tied into the EOS uh, mainnet? Well, having wrapped tokens, Bitcoin, you know, Tether, dollars, hopefully someday gold and silver, 
on on a network that those are primitives that can used by any smart contract to build more complicated things. So I, I think that um, it'd be amazing to get more wrapped tokens onto a platform like EOS. Like some people are doing this on Ethereum, but you, you quickly see how it, it gets congested. But EOS can easily handle far more complex uh, DeFi applications with far more assets, um, you know, with Bancor and all those other things on there. I think there's a lot of potential there. Now, the problem is, regardless of whether or not it's centralized or not, um, all these different tokens, um, <clears throat> you, have, you have tokens built on top, top of tokens, uh, you know, exchanges that have their own token that are then fees are going into buy back that token, uh, inflation being used to juice yields in certain places. Now, the entire space... Um, even, even the idea of staking into staking pools and then getting your money back over time, it, it, there's no tax compliant way of, of doing it. Um, it's, it's just completely ambiguous uh, and no amount of lawyers or centralized planning can actually make something tax compliant because the tax laws were all invented in a time uh, where there were very limited financial products, right? When they're, you know, back before computers even is when a lot of the financial products were invented and all the regulations assume this this model they all assume that there's some entity that knows your cost basis and can summarize all your trades and and submit it but when you're trading across multiple platforms multiple blockchains and you don't know the entire picture of someone's portfolio it's impossible to actually calculate capital gains and losses it's impossible to even clarify whether or not something is income like a dividend or a capital gain, uh, or if something's more of a stock split, right? Because uh, maybe I have more tokens, but it was evenly distributed, so it should be classified as a stock split. And some of these mm -hmm. inflationary schemes that inflate and then pay out could just be viewed as an uneven stock split of some kind. Uh, all these things are weird combinations that no two tax attorneys are going to agree. They might not even understand it. They might not even be able to interpret it. In, in the sense of the tax code. And that's assuming a single jurisdiction like the United States. Um, but throw it globally and it's a real mess. Uh, and I think that the tax complex complexities associated with every transfer of token potentially being capital gain and loss needing to be individually reported basically means you have to give the IRS a summary of every financial transaction you've ever made, everyone you've ever done business with, potentially do 1099s and all these other things, uh, it's basically outlawing by regulatory complexity um, and complete invasion of privacy. That's that's the problem that's facing the entire cryptocurrency space, period. So can we fix that? Yeah, what's the solution? The solution is uh, <laughs> we've got well, to reform our society. We have okay. to get back to what I would consider the original purpose of Bitcoin. Way back in 2008 timeframe, when I was trying to come up with a digital currency before I even discovered Bitcoin. The reason was the Federal Reserve and the fiat banks, uh, central banks of the world, they control our savings, they control all prices. They, they can inflate trillions of dollars in a matter of months. Um, and with, with that, they uh, 
They own the economy. They determine who wins and who loses, and they devalue your savings. If you want to have freedom, if you want to reestablish your independence, um, which I believe is necessary in order to consent, because if you're not independent in your own mind, completely dependent, then you can't consent to a system you're dependent upon. Um, and if you don't have consent, you don't have legitimacy. Uh, and that kind of undermines the entire concept of democracy. But Dan, so, the problem I see here, though, is that you go on in that same interview to say that voice faces a lot of the same tax complications and implications, right? Yes. And that's part of the reason we've taken so long. We don't have time to reform society for voice to start up, hopefully, by the end of the year, right? Um, it's a great goal. So the question is, is it, is it a necessity for voice then to be integrated directly with some sort of uh, of of entity that will help users fix that? Or, or is it just going to be incumbent upon the user to track and know what the value of voice tokens are and to be able to know what they've sold when they receive those voice tokens? Because that's exactly what we're getting into. You're giving people daily a UBI, and you said that yourself, um, a token that has value generated just from logging in. And then uh, we've talked about before the ability to sell those tokens or an exchange, or transfer them to other people. And each one of those is going to be potentially a taxable event. And if there's not some way to make it easy for those voice users to track that, we're going to all yeah. be in a little bit of trouble down the road. Well, that, that's one of the challenges. Like when you're trying to build a product within a professional manner for the mass market, like Block One is, you can't release something that's going to destroy someone's taxes, that's going to cause them to get in trouble with the IRS, right? No one's gonna to wanna to use a product that they think I log into this, I'm gonna have the IRS knocking on my door. Uh, and so there's a exactly. you real the need list. to, to um, solve that problem for the end user, to make it so that they know that I'm safe. At the end of the day, if I do owe taxes, it's all calculated for me, I'm given a form and I just file it. There's no ambiguity. Um, so, in the United States, it might mean that you know we we have to consider lots of different options on on how to address this particular problem, and it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. The United States being one of the most complicated, um, but it might mean that you can do certain things on a platform uh, tax free. But as soon as you want to get access transferability, now you got to KYC and you've got to pay taxes um, at a certain point. And solving those problems. Right, people always think about the SEC, but that's just one. We, we got to solve it on the on the IRS perspective, and that's why voice is currently tokens have no value, uh, and they're going to be reset in the future, uh, because right now you can we can kind of play with the mechanics of the system, but we're not creating tax consequences hmm. uh, for the users, and that's actually, um, uh, and we also want to have one platform that works globally, right? We don't want to have to have uh, one set of rules for US people and another set of rules for non-US people. And so the whole so, platform kind of slows down to the slowest, most difficult yeah. jurisdictions uh, in the world. Um, you, and we're tackling those problems. Uh, and the end result might be that, well, if you're in the US, you don't get tokens that have any value because tax law and SEC, but if you're outside the US, maybe the tokens can be transferable and have value. Those are, the types of things that the voice executive team and lawyers are, are dealing with. And so I can talk all day about how economics 
should work. Right. The token incentives should be aligned. We might let uh, you one day. <laughs> but uh, just be, just because you can describe a system doesn't mean the tax law and regulations are compatible with the system. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and that's that's the challenge every business in the space faces. Uh, it's it's why yeah. you know Facebook and Twitter and Reddit <clears throat> they're going to have similar problems if they try to create tokens and distribute them to users and and there exist secondary markets where they have value. Yeah. So I'm going back and, and Zach may be able to pull it up here to some of your your telegram comments back from shortly after after B1 June. Uh, and, and this is in relation to voice. Zach, can you share my screen? I don't know if you want uh, to try to share it again. I'm not seeing All it right. as a source. Do. Maybe it maybe it won't come up, but I'll give it one more shot. So uh, I'll just I'll just read here just some of these real quick. Um, you got it. Great. Mm -hmm. So just looking through some of these, we already know about KYC. You talk about actively uh, engaging in regulars. Now it's not sharing. So I don't see it on mine. Anyway. I, see, you, I you see, see it. Great. So it says uh, it's our desire. So we'll be able to be, be able to buy voice tokens. It's our desire subject to regulations. You just mentioned that. If voice tokens are transferable between users, what would the use case be? Guessing you go on to say regulated exchanges may be, may be supported where regulations permit. Uh, and you talk about an exchange may pay some fee to EOS token holders. What what were you envisioning back in, in this was in June, July of, of last year uh, at the time for voice, a voice exchange and, and how that would all all piece together? Or is it, has it changed since then? Uh, things are rapidly changing uh, as we get more in engagement with the regulators. Okay. Uh, both directly with us and the regulators engaging with other companies in the space. Um, and as, yeah, so I, I don't remember exactly where we were at the time that those <laughs> comments went out, sure. but uh, we've definitely been considering. That's one of the challenges we have with actually talking about things so much is is that we say, well, we want to do X, Y, and Z. And we happen. start moving down that path and we we run into this or that regulation that so causes speaking of wanting to do x y and z you mentioned last week again uh you you still uh would like to give eos accounts to voice token holders but you got to make sure that it's not an attack vector and i assume you meant an attack vector on b1's ram and their resources is that right correct correct so we are uh, actively pursuing ways of of getting that done um because uh, so we've got a, a number of ways that there's just so many options out there. Everything <laughs> from supporting people like Graymask uh, with with their wallets to giving Absolutely everyone voice a free EOS account. Um, you know, we're we're having certain challenges with verifying the uniqueness of people. A KYC providers, they're gained, um, and so. That's not a black and white way of, of eliminating. But as soon as you tie financial benefit or anything to something, people find ways through the system. So uh, now we've, we're getting better and we've got more complex technologies um, to eliminate or minimize fraud in the background. But uh, yeah, we are one of the reasons we didn't release a EOS uh, wallet directly is because we couldn't create accounts. Uh, for users, and we wanted to have that user experience. Um, but uh, as 
as our technologies behind the scenes are advancing, we'll hopefully be able to get the onboarding challenge uh, largely resolved. So uh, I, want, I want to backtrack because we, we skipped over it. We, we wanted to talk about wrapped Bitcoin. Dan brought it up briefly a few minutes ago. But how do you envision uh, wrapped BTC? So everyone knows block one uh, from, I think, one of the, I, I forget, I think it was a shareholder uh, report that got leaked, uh, 140,000 Bitcoin. Does mm -hmm. block one have any plans to tokenize that Bitcoin? And if so, uh, what means or methods uh, are you guys investigating to do that? And is there a time frame? <laughs> <laughs> it's a loaded uh, question. We have we have big plans for those Bitcoin and EOS. Um, how those things relate, uh, you just gotta have to wait and see. Uh, news is coming. Well, let, let's let's speculate. You jumped ahead, Zach. Come on, you're killing me here, man. Agenda. Let's I'm go moving, ahead. I, I don't mean DeFi. Uh, share share the screen again. Let's let's go down here to see what uh, what we're looking at. Um, right. Let me get way way down here to the bottom of the agenda, Zach. I'm joking. I'm giving him hell. Um, so, you know, Brendan has talked a lot about, about what can be gained, what can be gained by wrapping EOS and, and, and wrapping BTC and Ethereum onto uh, EOS. So, you know, th this is great. We all agree that it could be a, a secondary uh, scaling solution to both of those platforms. Heck, you, you, you were able to uh, easily do the, uh, uh, the whole Ethereum chain into, into EOS without a, without a problem. Good job, Saeed, winning that uh, that award. But here's a, here's a very telling quote, and I, and I like this one. D1 has begun exploring multi-chain mining strategies to build proficiencies that we see as important to long-term ecosystem interoperability. You know, guys, I mean, are we talking about IBC here, Dan? IBC between EOS, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, right? Uh, we manage our treasuries to maximize the firepower that we have for our strategic goals. For us, mining BTC and Ethereum strengthens our returns portfolios while starting to play a role in the governance and evolution of those platforms. There's one more quote here that I'll go back up to. B1 has been exploring multi-chain mining strategy. We talked about that. And Tequila comes in and says they want EOS to be able to seamlessly communicate between chains and to be used as a scaling solution. And Brennan Bloomer gives a little, little okay symbol there. So <laughs> that tells us a lot right there, whether you can talk about today or not, that, that, that uh, definitely B1 has some plans and has really been kind of a vocal on Twitter without giving any uh, specifics about that, that, how that would work. But just just give me an example outside of B1. What would make for a trusted wrap token? How would how would third parties feel comfortable enough to trust any entity enough to wrap a significant portion of their value onto EOS as a second layer scaling solution to then use that scaling solution? At, at the end of the day, all everything's multi-sig, right? It's turtles all the way down, multi-sig all the way down. Um, the EOS block reduction is multi-sig of 21 block producers, right? Uh, Bitcoin is multi-sig of uh, three mining pools. Ethereum is multi-sig of three mining pools. Um, so if you control um, hash power on B1, 
Bitcoin, Ethereum, and you, and you get those mining pools to cooperate with validating the EOS blockchain. And the EOS blockchain can directly validate the light headers of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, uh, you can directly verify the multi-sig such that even if someone stole the keys and signed the transaction to transfer the funds in custody, the Bitcoin miners would reject it because they know, hey, that's the custody wallet for the EOS uh, wrapped BTC. And the EOS consensus algorithm and the 21 block producers didn't authorize that particular transaction. So we don't care what signatures are on it. Um, but even so, you can implement Bitcoin uh, with 15 uh, N of M by right, up to 15 signatures on a particular Bitcoin address. So uh, you can actually have more decentralization in the Oracle that holds the Bitcoin than the, the, the private key entities than you can have on the Bitcoin mining itself. So the custody can be more secure than the hash power. It can be more decentralized than the hash power of Bitcoin. So one of the things that we're <clears throat> working on is a smart contract and we've already implemented it. Um, is the ability to verify Bitcoin block headers, verify Bitcoin transactions inside an, uh, an EOS contract. So that, uh, at least on the receiving side, you can generate deposit addresses, you can um, have complete deterministic um, management of Bitcoin and all the addresses. And you can even say, well, this is a withdrawal transaction and all you need is the oracles to sign the transaction and broadcast it. So now you can have 15 uh, different people, maybe trusted organizations like uh, major tech companies or financial institutions or well-known uh, accountant firms. I, I don't know what kind of entities would could be involved here, but the idea is that with 15 of these entities all running deterministic uh, software, reaching consensus both that a Bitcoin deposit has come in, that you can't forge it because it's validating with light client uh, all the Bitcoin transactions. It can reach consensus on when Bitcoin needs to come out and exactly what transactions should be signed. Uh, now, now you can have a very secure wrapped token that uh, is more decentralized than Bitcoin itself in terms of the number of parties required to, um, to validate the withdrawal and deposit. And I think that that type of wrapped token on EOS could be, um, be used as Bitcoin. Uh, people are like, well, why why go back to the Bitcoin network, which is slow, um, you know, with high fees, when I can just transfer instantly um, the wrapped Bitcoin on EOS, and anytime I need to get back, I can I can go back if I need to. But I think at the end of the day, people tend to migrate where it's easy and avoid the fees. You mentioned oracles. Oracles aren't something native to EOSIO. What, what, what's your vision for, for oracles running on, on EOSIO? Um, well, an oracle is just anyone who's broadcasting outside information into the blockchain. So an oracle could be broadcasting Bitcoin block headers in and, the, and Bitcoin transactions that are being verified. Um, so that's, so that's a, a role of an oracle. We don't even have to trust the oracle because the light client logic is doing it. So anyone who can submit it uh, can, can submit the data. So that's, that's one type of Oracle, but uh, all it is is um, a data being published. And EOS was designed for Oracles. That's why contracts can read the state of other contracts. So you can broadcast, um, say, a price feed for a DeFi application. And one application can publish the price feed. It has no idea what other contracts are using it. And then some other prediction market out there can rely 
on that Oracle for the data without the Oracle being liable for all the different use cases of it, because all they're involved in is publishing data, which is completely legal. Um, and so now you can have prediction markets based on data coming from Oracle. So that's what Everpedia guys are, are up to, is really pursuing the prediction market realm. Uh, and so if you have a source of truth upon which people have reached consensus, uh, which is sufficiently decentralized, now you can really tie that into all kinds of different uh, financial applications. Yeah, ignoring all the complexities of tax law and security law. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's so that's exciting. Who is that? So I guess getting uh, having the tw top twenty-one block producers control an MSIG for Bitcoin's a no-brainer. Bitcoin's the most widely known uh, cryptocurrency on the market, even Ethereum. But what about for like smaller tokens like ERC twenties? So Liquid Apps, we just launched uh, an IBC bridge between Ethereum and EOS. Uh, it's on the test nets. And part of the, the value that that brings is that any token can be wrapped and you choose your level of decentralization. You choose how many nodes you want to be on the multi-sig to, to wrap those tokens and send them over. Um, is your vision of these wrapped tokens, so outside of Bitcoin, outside of Ethereum and the really big tokens, uh, do you envision the top 21 also controlling the M6s for wrapped tokens for I don't uh, think the top smaller 21. tokens? Sorry, I don't think the top 21 should control the MSIGs for the Bitcoin. Uh, I think that that just creates more centralization. I think you share different multi-sig groups with, for each one, and they should be well-known and relatively stable. Uh, because every time you change or update multi-sig on Bitcoin, you got to transfer all the UTXOs. So if, you, if you're voting people in and out constantly, you don't really know who holds the money, and, um, and it creates a different attacking mm -hmm. factor. So you want well-known, reputable, diverse geopolitically diverse um, uh, people in charge of running those nodes. Uh, that would be the ideal situation. Uh, and it's not, it's not, shouldn't be subject to governance to change who those people are. Because <clears throat> if, if they want to change it, then they can vote amongst themselves to uh, replace one member with a new member, um, not leaving it up to um, token holders, because that just invites people to uh, transfer it. Zach, I, I've got on my screen here, just going back, it's, it's funny because this is going back to early 2019, and it's still exactly, almost exactly what, what Dan is saying. And these are Dan's comments, you know, May 22nd, 2019. You can see here where uh, he's already saying that EOSIO can automate the BTC block header deposit validation. He's saying all these things. Uh, and and here we are, a uh, year 16 months later and it sounds like we may be just a little bit closer to making that happen so um, we're excited dan we hope to see that out there uh, i know i would like to be able to uh to be able to move uh eth and and btc in a manner that's uh cheap and quick and efficient so i look forward to that just quick question there tell me about the fees how, how would you do that on eos let's say you want to do that on eos you, you would have to have an eos account or could you do that through a third party and uh, and do it some other validation? Whether you pay a maybe one sat for moving a transaction or some set fee, and who would get that fee? All right. First of all, there's a way of doing token transfers on EOS that um, don't require you to have accounts in advance. Uh, you can basically pay to any public key address and then sign with that key to move the funds, and it works just like Bitcoin. And just like Bitcoin, you'd have a dust amount that you can't send below a certain amount. 
but just by the fact that you've got tokens there, it can reserve the RAM and then it frees the RAM when the tokens go off and you just need enough RAM for, for the tokens, which avoids the entire need to create accounts and all those other things. It works well for token transfers, uh, for people who are familiar with the Bitcoin paradigm. Uh, and so we can actually completely model the entire Bitcoin UTXO and scripting environment inside of an EOS contract. So everyone who knows how those things operate and they've got existing technologies, they could transfer EOS uh, and all you need is an Oracle or, or some service provider to broadcast that transaction to uh, pay the CPU cost. One of the things that we're really excited about um, is contract pays, which is the ability to have a smart contract that accepts the CPU uh, charges on behalf of users. Um, and it will do that by inspecting the transaction, making sure that, yes, this is a, there are no other actions that are being piggybacked on it. And therefore you can uh, uh, charge the contract for the CPU time instead of users having to have resources. And I think the, paradigm of users having resources, um, having to worry about RAM or having to worry about CPU. Uh, it was never even the intent. The intent was always that the app developers would get the resources and provide it. Um, and there were, I guess, some back and forth decisions there. They didn't quite get it right on, on the first uh, initial release of ESIO, but uh, now we've got a really clear view and a path forward. So going forward, Things like oracles for broadcasting Bitcoin. Anyone can do it and they don't even have any resources to do it sure. because the, the deposit contract can process it. You'll be able to transfer tokens um, without having to have any resources staked because the token contract will take a, a fee Small out fee. of it um, to reserve the RAM, to cover the cost. And, and there'll just be a transaction fee-based system, which transaction fees work great for value transfer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't work great for voting or posting or other things. So you need both. Um, mm -hmm. But it's really going to be half, up to the application developer to get how to ration Bitcoin it. transfers for a sat or just a few sats at most. I, I love it. Yeah, I yeah. love that too because th there's a value to that transfers and there's also a value to the CPU required to make the transfer. So as long as the, tr the uh, transaction fee is higher than the cost of the CPU, then it, it covers itself. It's sure. like... Yeah, cost like of the CPU and the cost of the RAM to reserve the, the receiving deposit address. But yes. Yeah, they got to pay there. Do you have any more on this, Zach? Go back. I got a couple more voice questions before we keep going. Well, I have a question about um, the cost of accounts. So, whenever RAM price, it, it, when the Rambo stuff was going on and RAM prices were sky high, the EOS price was really high. Well, what's, what's the solution to account creation costs? Because that's another point of friction. Uh, I see it every day whenever we're bringing in new users, which we're starting to see more of recently, which is great. Mm -hmm. There's always an onboarding issue and there's great wallets like Wombat Wallet. I, I, I think that's a great solution where they give you the account for free. They don't let you export the keys until you pay for it. What is in your mind, the solution to the account creation problem of friction that EOS and EOS IO chains have? Well, it's the same problem every company in the world has. Uh, they've got database and server space and users sign up and they consume it. If they can't prevent duplicates, uh, you know, the people take all the candy out of the candy jar, right? Mm -hmm. you, it's gonna cost you lots of money. And you're not actually supporting users and you can be attacked by people that just wanna consume your resources. So every business out there already has to have some means of doing that. And in a decentralized system, uh, the way we solve that is, well, 
tokens are scarce. There is a cost for these resources. Resources are scarce. And we, we kind of leave it up to the individual businesses. The things that we can do to bring down the costs are eliminate the, the need for users to have RAM uh, for their own storage, uh, which can create uh, just a bare minimum overhead for the account itself, which needs to store things like their keys and their permissions and things like that, but doesn't need to store other things like how much you know, contracts like token balances and things like that. Wouldn't it be stored on the user's side to be stored on the, on the app side? Um, that, those things can bring the cost down. The other thing is to increase supply. Uh, right now, we're rationing a, uh, you know, a couple hundred gigabytes, you know, whatever can fit in RAM. But one of the things we're working on is disk-based backing for the state. Um, uh, and with that, we can have much larger data sets. So idle accounts don't cost us anything other than disk space, which is uh, basically infinite these days um, compared to everything else. So that's those two things will reduce the account costs. Um, another aspect of accounts is making sure you have enough token stakes so that you can actually do something. But if once you get a contract pays model or app pays, then accounts don't need tokens for that either, <clears throat> which can reduce the size of the account and the cost of creating the account. Um, and then lastly, once you have applications, whether it's DeFi or um, uh, social media or whatnot, if people are willing to pay 50 to, I saw someone comment $200 for an Ethereum DeFi transaction, <laughs> the cost of an EOS account is insignificant <laughs> next to that, right? So, Anyone who's doing real business and real value, account creation costs are not a problem. Uh, it's it's only the people that want to uh, create lots of accounts for spam, or they want to onboard lots of users or have no checks on on things to quality control, uh, so to speak. Um, they, so we need we need the account creation costs from a spam prevention and quality control perspective. Now it's just a matter of finding the business cases that justify the signup. And businesses should be paying for their users, right? People are saying that uh, no user wants to pay $2 to try out my, my project. I need a free account. No, <laughs> you want a free account, do it. Give them a temporary account um, that they can use as guests, right? Have a hundred guest accounts and anyone who they can all share and rotate the guest accounts. But giving them permanent accounts, uh, they're either generating revenue for you, in which case you pay the two dollars. It's like free shipping. Uh, you know, it's like the money you spend advertising to get your customers there. Right? There's always a cost of customer acquisition. Um, so it's it's really about coming up with better business models that justify the user acquisition cost uh, than it is about making it so that a billion people can sign up because there's actually not enough RAM for a billion people mm -hmm. to sign up. So which billion people get to sign up? <laughs> so speaking of, of a billion people signing up, uh, going going real quickly back to voice, uh, there was a, a note in the Telegram channel here here recently that, that Kevin Rose, and we'll talk about the PBE in just a bit, uh, was out and mentioning, just happened to casually mention, he spoke to DAP Radar this morning, uh, and he was talking about user feeds. And, and the only reason I can think of for a member of of B1's PBE team to go out and speak to Dev Radar is to make sure that voice is included uh, in in Dev Radar's feed. Do you think that 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 Dev Radar would 
honestly, be, be blunt here, care about a private chain, uh, even if it really has users? Uh, and would they consider those users of the DAP if it's on a privately hosted network? I can't speak to uh, <laughs> why they're talking to DAP radar besides okay. um, just trying to make sure that we get feedback from uh, the community about the use cases for ESIO to make sure we support them. We're not breaking compatibility that we can help them scale, things like that. Um, you know, the, that team and the voice team are two completely separate teams. So uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily connect anything there. So uh, before yeah, the call, Dan, a big company. I didn't, I didn't even know they were talking to them. <laughs> so uh, before the call, you kind of brought up how voice has their own CEO and like the separations and how you're not the one pulling the strings at voice at this point, you, you're advising. You want to kind of recap what you, what you said before you started the live stream? Yeah, at block one, we've got a lot of projects going on. Uh, you know, stuff we're doing to support EOS and EOS mainnet, EOS IO, uh, stuff that we're doing for um, private enterprise blockchains based on EOS IO. And, there, and there's lots of EOS VC companies out there that we're supporting. And, and we've got voice and we spun voice out under very competent CEO, uh, you know, former chief digital officer of Forbes. Uh, you know, Salah's a very talented individual. And, and Voice is an autonomous organization, uh, and my role at Block One is to go and advise and direct and um, each of these business units. But uh, in order to scale and decentralize, even internally to Block One, uh, we need to delegate uh, decision making uh, to to different parties. So uh, I focus on on the technology, on the blockchain, and uh, the freedom consciousness of, of the organization. Uh, but man, there's, there's so much going on within block one that if I, if I try to keep up with it all, I wouldn't be able to get anything else done. It's, it's, it's amazing. Let's get into that. You, the company is huge. So as last I checked, it's over 300 employees. I noticed uh, you guys have opened up a Singapore office. So that means the ones I know of are Blacksburg, Singapore, Washington, DC, and Hong Kong. Is, is that all of them currently? Um, I believe we've got some people in London too. <laughs> London also. Um, so what, what's, what, what's the experience like, uh, with bringing on a team like that size? You, you talked about, uh, previously how you built steam with like four people and now you're running a company of 300 plus what's, what have the challenges been for scaling a business to the size that block one has become? Is it like uh, more, more than a handful? <laughs> it's a completely different skill set uh, to manage uh, 300 people. I, I'm not a I'm not a manager. Uh, that's not my strength. My strength is is design and systems and things like that. So a small team where everyone's talking, uh, you know, I can coordinate that. Everyone's wearing multiple hats. That that's great. As we get to larger and larger teams, my role is more of an architect than a manager. So uh, learning how to cooperate with other people who are managers, right? We hire, we bring in the best talented managers and, and people out there. Like we got, we've got product owners like, like Mark Woods, who's amazing. Uh, you guys Shout out Mark Woods. Mark, Mark Woods has been on everything yes before, before he uh, got, got chained up when he got uh, hired by block one. Uh, I, I get the social media policies and everything like that. Um, you guys have hired a, an amazing 
the, some of the people I know that have been hired from the community are some of the most talented people I've ever met. Um, and one of those teams is Kevin Rose and Rick and the whole EOS New York team. How did that come to fruition? Like who came to who first and what was the process like of saying, we want to build this public blockchain engagement team. EOS New York is already basically molded this role in their first year and a half as a block producer. Uh, what was that process and decision-making like and, and what led to the decision? Well, they were already doing such a great job engaging with the community, organizing, making things happen. And we needed to grow quickly. So it's really a matter of, do we try to hire some new people that have no idea what's going on in the community mm -hmm. and bring them in to do this? They were the best people for, for the job. They were available. Uh, and so we're, I'm really excited to work with them because they can devote like full time to uh, engaging with the community, tracking everything that's going on uh, within block one. So uh, yeah, when, when you grow from a, a small company of, um, you know, five to 10 people, everyone knows what's going on and about everything. But when you go to 300, spread across the globe, very different time zones, and you're in vastly different business areas, uh, everything from yes. a, the EOS VC team who's evaluating and investing in projects to uh, the, the voice team, which is tackling all the issues around social media, to the enterprise team, which is addressing the unique uh, considerations for enterprise blockchain. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're working on there is faster finality uh, to allow um, uh, half-second confirmations, uh, finality for enterprise use cases, and also better validation for block producers on EOS so that they can hand off between their redundant back off, backup nodes more efficiently. So that's those are some of the things we're doing there. But yeah, the, the structure of managing a team like this is... is um, vastly different skill set. I'm glad that I have an opportunity to be with Block One to advise such an amazing team on on technology and to really focus on on the real purpose. Like, you know, what I live and breathe, I've had the same mission to create free market solutions for securing life, liberty, and property from BitShares through Steemit onto EOS and into the future, right? I've got, that's my goal and everything we're doing, whether it's it's voice or some other projects that you know, we'll be uh, able to un unwrap later this year, hopefully. Um, you heard it, guys. Later this year. Year. Yep. <laughs> we got a we got a roadmap. <laughs> finally. Yay! I got something out of hand. So there's there's things that are happening. Um, they're all geared toward one way or another creating that freedom. Uh, and so, you know, I started. With the idea that we need, I wanted independence for myself, but you, you can't have independence from one person because you know maybe you want to go live alone in the woods, uh, and that's a very low standard of living. But what you really want is a community, and you want your community to have independence. Uh, and that's why I got into Bitcoin because Bitcoin and cryptocurrency creates you, gives you independence over your economy, over your money. Money being the most fundamental aspect of independence for a community. Uh, and if you're not using gold or silver, the next best thing is is cryptocurrency. Um, and one of the things I think the entire cryptocurrency space has lost sight of is, are we building independence for our community or are we tracing capital gains in uh, Federal Reserve notes, right? Uh, to what extent do we view ourselves as community members trying to set up a 
parallel independent system outside of what's there so that we no longer depend upon exchanges to go into fiat. Because the ideal end game in my mind is we don't need exchanges to fiat anymore. We've got farmers producing food. We've got power companies. We've got our own satellites providing internet. Uh, you know, we just, the more independent we can make our communities, the more we can opt out of the systems uh, of the world that are enslaving us. Good info. Uh, just in fact, uh, the enterprise uh, things you mentioned, uh, back in January, uh, you gave the speech at Capitol Hill. I, I was there in Washington, D.C., and you talked mm -hmm. about how your vision is for EOSIO to essentially replace SQL-like databases. Uh, I'm sure that's still your vision, but where, where are you guys at in that? And how far out of a timeline do you see it? So to replace something like uh, relational databases, like, like SQL, like that, what's your timeline on that and your vision for that? Sure. It, it's got to be long, super long term, I'm assuming. Well, it's all a matter of just tooling. It already, you know, ESI is already a database. There's already an ability to query it. Um, one of the things that I've come to better understand is an event sourcing model. Uh, event sourcing has been used for decades. It's nothing new. Uh, but if you take the concepts from event sourcing, combine them with the concepts of blockchain, the smart contract is just the it's the gatekeeper. Make sure that this this next event is um, the a legitimate. Um, all the preconditions are are valid, but then it gets passed on to any other number of systems on the back end that can process that event and create state. Whether it's tracking shopping cart state or social media state, and you can have infinite number of databases derived from the same events. Right, the blockchain is just the log of user actions, user intention, which can be interpreted an infinite number of ways. Um, so we already have the tools there. One of the tools that we are using internally, which you can probably find it on GitHub, uh, we, we created something that processes all of the uh, events coming out of Nodios uh, and allows you to run extra logic uh, with a bigger database backed by RocksDB. We call it Rodeos, read-only Nodios. It's a way of reading from Nodios and creating additional derived state uh, and then allowing you to query it with a GraphQL-like interface. So, um, and we've built all that and we've been using it for internal projects and we've been polishing it up, but it takes a while to get it there. But in the end, I, th I think a GraphQL-like interface uh, with custom databases that can be mirrored and sharded and all those other things are going to be what allows USIO to scale. Uh, and then you have multiple different blockchains that can be processing different independent sets that are feeding this whole event source model. Uh, so I think we have already had the technology uh, and the design patterns. Like, I think one of the things that I realized early on when I got into Bitcoin, everyone's trying to figure out what is this Bitcoin thing what are the economics? Why does it have value? All these different things, uh, thinking that it's something new. And I say, well, no, there's nothing new here, uh, except maybe a little bit of technological innovation. It's all just old things being rehashed. Bitcoins are just like shares in a company and, and mining rewards are just like issuing new shares and paying it to people to, to mine a block, right? To expend the energy to do so. 
Uh, and then delegated proof of stake is nothing more than taking old models about how shareholders elect directors to, to run things um, and how inflation is just how you raise capital to fund, uh, fund projects. Uh, and all those different things are just old ideas that need to be in, reinterpreted or laid on top of the blockchain to, to see how things operate. And so the new latest realization is what well, event sourcing is an old idea uh, but layered on the blockchain creates very, very powerful. Uh, you can take all the lessons learned, all the design models and patterns from the past and now apply it to blockchain to, to scale it uh, and to accelerate development. Uh, and so with blockchain, the main innovations of blockchain I see are that every user's got a public key. So the keys are in the hands of the user and that the database has the option of being public, uh, which means that people can fork the database uh, and they can um, verify it for themselves. That's that's the majority of the innovation on Bitcoin. And then everything else is, is just applying old design patterns on top of that to scale. With, with the enterprise adoption, um, a lot of uh, debate online. Uh, so the difference between EOS IO and EOS. So EOS IO is the software. EOS is one implementation of the software. It's the largest, uh, most valuable public network running the EOS IO software. Um, is there any tie-in at all with an enterprise pack suite of services that you guys are building for specifically for enterprises? Is there any tie-in that would require a public network and what role would the public network have? What is a public network but a private network operated by different people? The only difference is that it's it's public and it's transparent. It's got tokens that are valued, so there's, I guess, more proof of stake that can be lost there. But any company uh, has their own reputation on the line. Any company can take their private blockchain and make it public, make it forkable, uh, and so forth. The main reason to interact with EOS Mainnet is to get access to tokens. If you got tokens on, on your private chain, or you want oracles, or you want to move information back and forth, it's a great way to gain access to it. So for example, imagine if you could transfer your voice tokens to the EOS mainnet. Now every exchange in the world that's integrated with the EOS mainnet has, can easily list voice without having to integrate another private chain into their system, right? So there's values in integrating with a public open system like EOS because it's already gone and gotten all those connections. And that's the biggest value that EOS has is uh, the economics of having one of the most liquid, I think it's the third most liquid token out there. Um, mm -hmm. And it's got the uh, ability to have all kinds of smart contracts. You can write smart contracts on the EOS mainnet that will validate the light headers from your private chain uh, and vice versa. So there's all kinds of things that you can uh, I guess economic connectivity uh, between mainnet and your private network. That, that it's, it's the same reason people choose to integrate with Facebook and Medium and whatnot is you immediately get a wide network uh, effect. Um, and so I see that that's where businesses, like whether it's voice or other products, could benefit from integrating with EOS mainnet. Uh, it's the company integrates one time with EOS, and then EOS is already integrated with everything else. Great, great answer. I like that. So. Along those lines, and we'll talk about, you know, B1, maybe maybe marketing that to enterprise, but 
you know, we, we've heard the term marketing before. And when the time comes, marketing will be beyond anything seen in crypto. But before you can market, you need to have, have an onboard strategy that can convert users and a service that can retain them. Everybody always remembers that first part. Everybody is looking for marketing that will be beyond anything seen in crypto. But everybody conveniently forgets the back end of that quote, which is, again, before you can market, you need an onboard strategy that can convert users and a service that can retain them. Is voice that service? Is voice what we're waiting for till we see marketing like unseen before? Or are you talking about what exactly were your thoughts here and, and, and what is your expectation or timeline you think that we might start seeing some marketing? Well, that's uh, another whole department within Block One. Okay, it's, uh, okay. in, charge of, in charge of the marketing timeline. Get you in but I, I, I can speak to the... Uh, Let's speak to the first or the middle part of that, I, I guess. Um, one of the things with Steemit, Steemit was incredibly successful. Uh, people came, they signed up. It was really easy. They got tokens. It was going viral, but it, people weren't able to stick around. So it's like having a leaky bucket. And if you start marketing, and even if you have very high success rate on converting people into signing up, if you don't have a high retention rate, because the value is not there to retain the users, then then the whole thing is for naught, right? Um, in fact, you might even burn the first impression. Right? You only get to make a first impression one time. So uh, I understand the, the desire of everyone to see, go market it so people buy the mm -hmm. token and I can sell it to someone else at a higher price than I paid. But that's, that's uh, selfish thinking. That's thinking, uh, how can I make money? Which is really saying, how can I get out? by getting someone else to come in. That's Ponzi thinking, right? That's not what we want to build a community on. Do you want to be part of a community that's just trying to figure out how to get you in to boost their share price so they can make money? You want to, we, we join these blockchain communities for independence and for a greater cause and token price should almost be irrelevant if you're building the cause because if the cause succeeds, then eventually you'll get there. Um, and so that means building a really solid foundation because if you don't have a solid foundation, you sprout out and then you find out that you can't scale. The experience is terrible. You know, transaction fees go to $200 per transaction and then it ends up crashing eventually when people realize that it's not sustainable uh, or something else comes along. So you got to be smart about how you apply your money. There's other people out there that do all kinds of gimmicky marketing campaigns, spending you know, millions of dollars for dinners of famous people these, <laughs> these types of things are not being uh good stewards of the resources that they have uh you know the only way you can make money on that type of activity is to play the pump and dump game where you buy in spend a bunch of advertising dump it on people yeah you made money but otherwise you you spend money the money's gone and you didn't get a return for for the money spent which is is poor uses of money so I think that's one of the things that separates Block One from a lot of the other companies out there is we're keeping our powder dry. We're investing slowly and methodologically. We're playing the long game. This is the tortoise and the hare. Uh, and I know everyone likes to see, you know, 100% returns year over year, but you have to ask yourself, what's the end game there? What happens when your cryptocurrency gets to a trillion dollar market cap and there's no more greater fools to come in? Right. If you haven't built up a real sustainable economy doing real things, 
then just pumping the price is is uh it's not helping anyone. You're just setting everyone up for massive failure. So that's a good good segue into the next topic and really really talking a little bit about community here. Uh, you know, there's there's been a little bit of of uh, dichotomy here uh, lately between what B1 maybe is the sees as the community and what what the EOS mainnet supporters saw in the community. Uh, going back to 2019, you know, you were engaged in Telegram. Brendan was engaged in Telegram. We had uh, B1 June. Uh, there was a lot of sharing of information. There was a, really a whole lot of communication, hundreds or thousands of messages between you and Brendan and the community on Telegram. Uh, and, and then, it, it, I hate to say, it was almost like a light switch. Uh, you both left Telegram, deciding that we're impersonators uh, as the primary reason. But to be honest with you, then you went on Twitter, where there are still an issue with impersonators. They're still prevalent. Um, and then, you know, there was a switch where, for the longest time, uh, Dan, it was, it was really, it felt like EOSIO was much, much greater and much more talked about, which is fine. We know B1 creates the OSIO and it is doing a lot of great things with it, but it was a shift. It was a change in the communication. And it really, to be blunt, it changed. It, 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 the community felt like they got a cold shoulder and a lot of the community has reciprocated in kind with, with, with a distrust for, for B1 and its intentions to, to the EOS mainnet. We've seen a shift here recently, a little bit of change uh, with more engagement with the PBE, with you coming on and, and doing a lot of interviews and, and EOS hashtags, and we appreciate that. So can, you, voting. can you give us, and, and you're voting, can you give us a little bit, <laughs> what happened, Dan? What, what, really, that's it, well, what happened? Well, the challenge we, we face with EOS uh, uh, and the entire project is, uh, we told the, the world that we're not going to launch a chain. The community needs to launch the chain. Uh, and from, you know, we, we went through a period of time dealing with regulators where we had to be extra careful not to uh, create confusion about whether or not EOS mainnet is block one or the communities. Right? We really needed to establish over a period of years that the community is the one responsible for the network. That's to protect us and the community, right? Um, and so I think that that's been firmly established now that we are just one member of the community, uh, that the community is responsible for what is happening on the network, right? There's lots of different ESIO chains out there that have implemented different governance, different resource, even slightly tweaked to the consensus algorithm, but they're all leveraging the technology we built. Um, but now that it's been established, a lot of the regulatory stuff is behind us. Uh, we are able to engage as a community member with um, and, and to contribute uh, directly because we have a strong interest in seeing the success of, of EOS, whether we like it or not, our reputation is tied up uh, in EOS to success. Uh, but it's actually a real challenge for us because we don't control EOS. EOS is decentralized. EOS is not run by block one. Um, so we have to collaborate, negotiate, persuade, uh, get votes just like everyone else. We can't unilaterally change all the block producers um, like some other companies have happened. Like 
we, we did a really good job of decentralizing EOS and now we get to participate as a community member. Um, and that I think uh, it's a, it was a painful process, but ultimately was for the best interest of, of the decentralization of EOS uh, and, and the overall protecting everyone from the regulatory concerns involved. Okay. So uh, I, I can appreciate that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> um, the reason that you left BitShares or you started Steam was partly because kind of like the funding dried up with the community funding for BitShares. Um, we have a lot of people that were, were here from the mainnet launch that started building on EOS and they were reliant on a token appreciation to kind of grow their business model. Um, prior to the mainnet launch, we were prom not promised, but we, we were told that there would be a WPS, for example, which never happened still to this day. Um, what, uh, how is- WPS means worker proposal system, just to, to make sure that I'm understanding you correctly. <laughs> yes. And, and the reason why uh, I pulled on it um, is because we don't have a governance process to prevent it from being gained. Um, yeah, particularly as, you know, hundreds and millions of dollars and billions of dollars potentially starts flowing out of these systems. And you've got people that will game the rules, game the voting. If it's gameable, it's actually more of a liability than an asset. Um, and that is the biggest challenge is how do we hold people accountable, particularly because, you know, originally you know, I have a bigger vision of a community, a community that has, is basically a peace treaty. It's got a constitution. It's got a dispute resolution system built into it. It, it can handle the subjective stuff. And there's, there's this kind of community integrity on there. But to, to create that system, you need to have quality control on who can come into the community and kicking people out of the community. Uh, you can't just allow anyone to buy their way in and then control the, the community, uh, so to speak, or, or it will be taken advantage of for profit, uh, which... You know, when we when we auctioned off all the EOS for the initial distribution, the um, it was bought by anyone uh, in the world that could, um, you know, that had access, um, and that created a a community of people that owned EOS, and they got to set their own direction. And so the EOS community decided a code is law stance. Not everyone who, who purchased was bought into the premise of a constitution, of a new society where we can actually help protect our rights outside the blockchain as well as on the blockchain, right? It's, it, it, was a, it was a bigger vision that I had. The community wasn't ready for it. The tokens weren't held by the same people that shared that philosophy. And so that's why uh, you know, I proposed code is law. We can build the higher level governance structures on top of a platform of code is law. Um, and and that's where we are now is we've got a platform of code is law. Uh, and in order to implement a worker proposal system, we've got to figure out uh, an identity solution. We've got to figure out governance processes, dispute resolution processes, uh, and get people aligned on something that's, that's bigger. Uh, you have to be aligned on what the, the goal is, right? How do we even decide um, what the purpose of the EOS network is. If, if we're going to spend community money on X, it's there has mm -hmm. to be some mission or higher purpose. Is it making the network more independent? Are we improving liquidity? Is it, or is it the goal just to uh, 
pump advertising in a, in a uh, some kind of advertising scheme and, and who judges the people who take the money and uh, uh, did they follow through and what is the accountability? Mm-hmm. Those are all major challenges with a worker proposal Agreed. system. And so that's I why agree. Brendan and I came out and said, you know what? It's uh, under the current environment, it's too risky to introduce uh, such a system. And now with, you know, with the staking, we've kind of said, well, we should redirect everything toward alignment, toward making EOS the best possible currency um, out there. Uh, and that the staking system can take the inflation and it EOS exists to transfer uh, wealth from people who need it short term to people who are long term community holders. And and so if you're invested for the long term in building something, you can actually profit by by staking and committing to the long term. And and there's an exchange of value there. I staked. I um, I get rewarded for it. That exchange of value is measurable. It's objective. Those are all really great things. Now, one of the things that Steemit was, right? Steemit was an attempt to create a algorithm that could reward people for doing good things for the community, for contributing subjectively evaluated work in the form of social media. The idea was that if you get a bunch of bloggers out there producing a lot of valuable content, that it will advertise and drive people to the community. Google SEO will pick them up. It'd be an advertising self-growing machine. And it largely worked um, except for the fact that there were people in the community with large token holders that would rather fight for a larger share of a smaller pie than focus on growing the pie. Uh, and that was a, a huge wake-up call to the problem with worker proposal systems is that you can't rely on the fact that if you own one or 2% of the network that you're going to um, vote in a responsible manner for the best interest of growing the network and not just vote to allocate more stuff to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without the accountability on that back end, uh, we need to do more innovation, more research. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure that any project in the space has actually solved this particular problem yet. Like but it is something that's near and dear to me. Yeah, out. I was about to say that. Uh, so, would you do you see the the idea of an EOS Foundation as a middle ground for the WPS, or would you envision it having a fully different function? Who gets to run the foundation? All you've done is move the problem of governance someplace else. At least you have a, a, a hopefully a diversified entity set up with with like-minded individuals that, that would, would be trusted or voted in and out. But I agree with you. You got to set it up within somebody. Maybe we don't have a good enough decentralized. You know, decentralization, right? It's a spectrum. It's hard. It's hard when you don't have some people stepping up and, and, and trying to try to do some some leading in that regard. So the foundation at least provides a center point, if you will. I hate to say that, but uh, a head so, uh, to help help get us down that path. Here's an example. I mean, I know we're in Corona, so there's no conferences going on or anything, whether tech or blockchain, crypto. Like who funds the, the sponsorship of, a, of an event, for example? The BPs are the only... Uh, people getting rewards from the network, for example, and even there, uh, I guess, distributing it back to, to the token holders. So I guess um, with a decentralized group of token holders, we don't want to rely on any one of them to pay for things like this. We would like to kind of pull together our funds or, or the network funds to do something like that. That's one of the rules of a foundation that I would see as valuable. Of <coughs> They're like this centralized voice that could say, hey, guys, here's what we want to do. If you want to support it, 
you can support it or you could opt out. So it, well, th this comes down into the uh, democratization of power. Um, and one of the challenges we have with all proof of stake systems is you have a Pareto distribution of wealth. Uh, and when you have the ability to buy your way in, you inherit all the corruption from the wealth distribution outside of your system as well, right? Because if, if the Federal Reserve can print up a billion dollars and buy EOs, <laughs> now, now they've uh, taken over a large part of the network. Um, now, the nice thing about delegated proof of stake is if you get too big and you start harming the network, people just fork you out. We saw that happen with Steemit. Uh, and it's a lot easier to fork bad actors out uh, and, and they can lose their billion dollar investment um, under DPoS than under proof of work. But we still need a, a means of overcoming the Pareto distribution from a, from a governance perspective. And Pareto is everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that, um, you know, with voice is I was trying to create a system that has unique identity as a fundamental primitive upon which you can start building more complicated uh, governance systems on. Uh, and so that's actually where a lot of my research time is focused these days is, is how do we create a democracy that actually does represents the people. Because the problem we have today, you know, we've got party systems, right? Party systems are factions. Uh, and we even have party systems in, in play within EOS, right? We've got the, the Chinese cartel and we've got the Western cartel. Uh, and it kind of creates this two-party system right, right inside of <laughs> uh, the EOS community because people have to align to get to the 51% uh, or control or two thirds control. Uh, and it's really a challenge when the wealth and the voting and the staking is all governed by Pareto, even Bitcoin mining, the hash power is distributed by wealth, which is distributed by Pareto, the location of, of, uh, cheap electricity is distributed by, by Pareto. So all these things cause, you know, even a billion people get to concentrate down into, a very narrow few, right? 80%, if 80% of the people, sorry, if 20% of the people have 80% of the influence, then 4% have 64% of the influence, 1% have 51% of the influence, which means the whole thing is controlled by 1%. And that's if it's 80-20. <clears throat> if the Prater distribution is more like 90-10 or 95-5, or, uh, then it's like 200 people control the world, right? Mm. Uh, and, and creating systems that counteract that, that restore the power to the individual, right? True decentralization uh, is basically about maximum empowerment of an individual relative to all of society, right? That would be the most abstract way that I could think of decentralization. Um, and that means that no individual is dependent, you, know, you have options, you can opt out, right? That, that's one, aspect of independence. Uh, being able to opt out is necessary to give consent. Consent's necessary to have uh, uh, cooperation, uh, to have a governance structure that's legitimate. Uh, and so that's why I created this political playoff process that uh, tries to solve factionalism, uh, tries to 
encourage identify the best consensus builders instead of the best liars and psychopaths and, and things like that. Because we need we need some way of identifying who our leaders should be, right? Does it make sense that the wealthiest EOS token holders get to decide the future direction? Well, from a corporate perspective, yes, right? They own it. They got the most on the line, but there's basically no power. Your only way of opting out is selling. And selling is a great way to opt out. It's it's a way of governing, which is why I believe in a multi-chain world. I think every person should be involved in multiple chains, just like every person should have the option to be citizens of multiple countries so that you're, you've got the ability to move around and to have, have choices at the individual level. That's true decentralization. That's true empowerment. And then if any particular system becomes corrupt, it should go it's down terrible. in value as people just start opting out. Um, and, and that's the checks and balances, that's true decentralization. But even there, we still need a way of organizing inside voluntarily to reach consensus and maintain quality control. Because if we can't maintain quality control and direction and purpose in a self-correcting kind of way, everything's just going to grow up and collapse, grow up and collapse. And that's what you've seen throughout history. Is you start off with something that's kind of decentralized, it grows up, turns into an empire, gets increasingly steeper Pareto right, distributions, and then the whole thing collapses. Yeah. So how do we opt out of Pareto? <laughs> it seems to happen in every every aspect of life. It's like really difficult. Yeah. Well, the closest thing I I came up with um, from a blockchain perspective is. Um, you have a Pareto of Pareto distributions. You have like five different Pareto distributions uh, or, or 10 different Pareto distributions such that uh, the same people can't be the best at all of them, right? And that's a way of getting decentralization. It's like a blockchain where every other block is produced by a different proof of work algorithm. Some that favor ASICs, some that favor GPUs, some that favor proof of stake. Um, and, but that gives you just incremental <coughs> increases in your decentralization. Uh, but what, if, what you need is real identity, you need communities of communities, right? So the idea is that, um, you know, you can get a, a group of a thousand people to get together and they can coordinate and do stuff. Uh, they should be able to operate as one entity uh, and then negotiate with other groups of thousand people that are autonomous. And then you can kind of pyramid it up such that it's decomposable, right? Any group of thousand can choose to leave because... They uh, they succeed together, right? Um, that that concept of designing a system for a secession, which a blockchain implements, right? You can fork, and forking mm -hmm. is secession. Um, that that needs to be designed into any governance system, uh, or what you end up creating is just a one-world government under your new blockchain utopia, right? <laughs> so the, the maximalist maximalist out there are asking for complete centralized control under some governance structure uh, on one particular chain. And that is, that's not freedom. That's not empowering the individual. <laughs> that's enslaving everyone to a new government that in theory is controlled by, uh, I guess, whoever owns those tokens or whatever the governance system is. I popped it up on the screen. It sounded like you're describing DAX on DAX right there for a second, like these decentralized autonomous communities on top of other decentralized autonomous communities. And that's, Absolutely. that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I think that the way that, uh, that 
democracy doesn't scale because if you have if you're one vote out of a billion, then there's no coordination between all the individuals. Uh, the individual power versus the the power of everyone delegating a billion people is basically zero. <laughs> but a democracy of a hundred people, well, that can work because you have lots of democracies of a hundred people. So th the way I would, you know, ideally organize things is I'd have every county in the United States, and there's some three thousand counties. They'd use some kind of hierarchical representative voting, but each county would get one vote. Each county would be able to secede from the state and join any other state that they want. Within each state, each county would have one vote, and they'd use hierarchical representative voting to to pick a state leader. And then the, each state would have one vote uh, to to pick a leader of all the states. But the idea is that secession is the fundamental right; that you don't have to fight a war uh, to <laughs> leave, right? You can't consent if you can't leave. And so organizing people in a in a geographic manner that actually maximizes the individual because you have enough influence locally to affect change. And if you can make a decision locally, your group has enough influence at the next level up to to affect change there. But if if it's one person, everyone's voting up for you know, you know president's uh, mass popular vote, then it's no longer uh, the individuals lost all power. They can't secede as an individual because they're not, you know, they can't survive on their own. They need a community. But an individual county of 50,000 people, sure, that's a small country. They, they could secede and particularly if they focus on, on being in, independent um, as possible. Uh, and in that way, we can get freedom. Uh, and that means uh, that's how you get decentralization. So we need to look at all the services we're using, whether it's uh, Google or internet service providers or power companies or governments, and make sure that we, we, we decentralize those things so we don't have centralized dependencies. We need to come together in groups, like all these different blockchain communities are wonderful. Now let's have a, a, a community of blockchains, right? Where every single blockchain has one representative and we can kind of figure out which, which blockchains are allowed into that community of blockchain. And now we have this very uh, powerful way of governing society. Yeah, Hopefully EOS would be invited into that community. Maybe EOS can lead the creation of it. Um, the, the we idea now we're talking. Have, once you have tokens on one chain, now you know, wrap tokens are just, all right, now let's govern all these chains. And let's reach agreements with other chains to say that you're going to enforce our wrapped tokens and we'll enforce your, your wrapped tokens. And that's that's kind of the the peace treaty among the chains, um, and and in that manner we can we can scale and grow up in modular manner. Love it. Um, well, you brought up. If you guys want to go back and, and learn more about political playoffs, you can go back <laughs> and, and look at uh, at the Mike Malone Maloney video and and mm -hmm. the, uh, a couple other ones that he's done recently. Dan, just 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 quickly, uh, going back to communications. Uh, couple of questions in the chat. When will we see uh, the next B1 June or some sort of other public event that, that uh, B1 will put on? And uh, there's been some talk and Brendan put some notes out there also about uh, a, a, an actually an EOS specific roadmap. Uh, any clue on those two items? Uh, soon, TM? 
<laughs> so, so, so we we can expect to see some some sort of event and and another B one June like event. Well, I mean, I think we've got to wait till uh, Corona kind of passed first of all. Well, it could, it could be a, a virtual, maybe maybe virtual, not. I'll take, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take uh, whatever announcements. No. Uh, that B one would like to give. It's not it's not my position uh, to announce events, but okay, uh, th things are happening. Okay. And then, well, we, and then we could probably expect a uh, maybe expect a roadmap uh, possibly about the same time. Part of the communications again there is knowing knowing what to expect and, and going back and forth and sharing with with the community and the community yeah, sharing I, with you. So that's that's the reason. I, abso absolutely. Yeah. At least where it pertains to EOS. Well, uh, go ahead, rapid sorry. fire. Will we see? And I I was at the San Francisco EOS Hackathon. It was seriously besides B one June, one of my highlights of being in the EOS community. Will we see an in person EOS IO or EOS Hackathon again in the future sometime? You know, no one knows what the future might bring. I, I, I know that our, we have an amazing events team that loves doing events. Um, you know, with Corona uh, and yeah, all these government restrictions these days. Uh, it's hard to predict anything in the foreseeable future. Right. Uh, you brought up EOS's currency a while back, um, but it's not stable. Uh, with BitShares, for example, you had to invent BitUSD to become the collateral-backed stablecoin of BitShares. Uh, what, what's your, your solution? You put out an article, a blog article, about a year and a half ago or so on a stablecoin-based uh, a solution. Um, where What... Kind of solution do you see for that? Do you, like we have, we have the Vigor DAC, which is uh, launching uh, on the fifteenth of this month. Uh, that's been here. We've had EOS DT for a while. Um, is your solution uh, for EOS to be a currency? Does it need a, a, a global stablecoin, or could it have multiple uh, DAC operated stablecoins, or uh, or even companies operating stablecoins? Like, how do you envision that? As you, if you want EOS as currency, it's got to be stable. No, I guess it's been stable. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, <clears throat> the idea that currency needs to be stable, um, within it, within, there's all kinds of co countries out there. They've got their own local currencies and internal to that country, it is stable because that's what everyone's pricing things in. They're buying things, they're trading things in that currency. It's only volatile on imports and exports. Right. So if you want to create a stable currency inside a community, create a, an internal closed loop economy. That's how you create a stable local currency. It might be fluctuating. All, if you measure relative dollars, it might be very volatile. Uh, measure relative to gold, it might be less volatile. Measure relative to Bitcoin, it might be even less volatile. But the, but, the concept earlier, of trying to peg, creating a token pegged to the dollar is still giving the Federal Reserve the power to devalue your savings. It's still empowering them. Uh, and so what other metric do you use? Maybe you try to peg to gold or, or silver or something. But even there, the Fed is controlling the price of that because they're printing, that's all priced in dollars uh, and, and they're manipulating the futures. So, you know, if you want to build a community, you don't make price stability a, a goal. You make closed, Closed economies, the goal, or an hour of my time is an hour of your time, um, or, or maybe there's some I, kind of exchange rate there, but it, it needs to be something like that. 
I get that, but at the beginning of this call, we talked about the new resource model. And the most beautiful thing about the new resource model is the predictability. I know what the cost yes. of my business operating costs are going to be tomorrow, next year, the year after. Uh, that That's where stability comes in play is if I could buy a gallon of gasoline for this many EOS today, but tomorrow I need to use twice as many EOS, like that's an inefficient economy to me, it seems like. It's a resource. Yeah. I mean... There's a, there's a limit to the amount of resources we have. And once we hit that limit, then you need to go out and spin up a new chain or some other type of resource. To, otherwise, it, you don't have the ability to, to actually correctly value something. So. Well, pr price stability is is an impossibility in general. So it's, it's relative stability, right? You, you say that uh, I want to be able to predict in six months where the price is going to be <laughs> approximately, right? My price of food shouldn't be going all over the place. But the reality is that if there's droughts and and plagues and all these other things going out there, food can be extremely volatile and have nothing to do with the currency. Energy, everything can be volatile and have nothing to do with the currency. Uh, so that's, that's one element of it. But it, really staking provides, um, staking and liquidity provision are the things that you actually want because that provides you a little bit of stability. So if you had a like Bancor, and you have people providing liquidity between uh, EOS and Bitcoin and EOS and the dollar and all these other things, and you and you had, you know, if you even used inflation from the communities to fund liquidity, uh, that would give you a little bit of predictability because the community has a social contract that, you know, we're going to be providing you liquidity and it's going to require a lot of selling we can't guarantee that it's always going to be the same because that's an impossible guarantee to make you can't unless it's like backed by gold you can't peg to gold um and and likewise so uh <laughs> i think that these stable coins have um have some benefits but it's at the end of the day it's not a robust robust foundation to build a parallel economy on. It allows you to hedge risks with other people, right? It allows me to say, well, I'll take the volatility, you can have the stability and vice versa. But we can't do that completely because one of us is gonna go and solve it. So we have to reach some kind of compromise of what happens in the extreme, right? I can I can give you stability up to 50% price deviation and then it's pegged. Or I can, I, like the steam dollar, I can put a floor, it's worth at least a dollar or so much steam. Um, each of those things is a way of a community to negotiate and barter and transfer risks between each other. Uh, and, and so I think it's not a replacement for, um, so in traditional markets, it's not the goal. In traditional markets and especially like commodities, you, you can hedge your risk through, through, uh, derivative products and hedging, uh, with options. Um, but the the thing is get... that if you if you hedge your risk with derivative products, all right. Let's say I'm hedging my risk of food shortage, so I buy a food derivative, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then food actually is short, and I actually want to take delivery because I actually need the yeah, food, you can't get right? It. The fact that you mm -hmm. give me the dollar equivalent of the food does not feed me, right? That if I can find and it, and that's why the derivative markets are not a replacement for real mm -hmm. commerce. That's the danger with financialization of our ecosystem and of, of the world, really. 
you saw this when oil went negative. People didn't want actually want the oil, but they actually <laughs> had to take delivery. Uh, and, well, that's, that's <laughs> that was fun. Interesting thing that oil goes negative. Um, but at, at the end of the day, the fact that um, gold futures or Bitcoin futures are settled in cash and the Fed can print unlimited cash means they use it to, to control the price. And if you actually need Bitcoin because the dollar's hyperinflating and they pay you cash, well, a lot of good that does you. You can't actually go and buy gold with the cash they're giving you. Otherwise, they probably would have just given you the gold, right? Uh, so if you're trying to hedge crops or buy crops, like I, I can't buy crops by, by buying a derivative of the crops. I actually need to buy something that gives me actual delivery. And so the real economy that's moving things around cannot be, cannot utilize derivatives. Derivatives are more like gambling um, uh, and price speculation. Uh, it's, uh, if well, you're price, a hedge- Even price insurance for hedging, but yes. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's kind of an insurance kind of thing, but you know that, you know, you're insuring, Insurance payout for the lack of food, but you're not getting food. You may not be right. able to eat. At least you'll have some money in the mm -hmm. bank. And just, yeah. I, I love this topic, but I got people here that, that want to want to learn more a little bit more about EOS, and and I love uh, free market okay. solutions and and that stuff. So, but I'm gonna I'm gonna moderate and bring us back on track, guys. You do it, Shane. Uh, just here, you you posted a, a tweet here back on May 30th, Dan, uh, and the question was. Uh, maybe some form of IBC message between chains, perhaps plug in to CEOSIO. Uh, and you say, we're very close. We are working on IBC related tech. Can you give us just a little bit more info on what that tech may be and, and, and how it looks today and what we can expect? Yeah, Bitcoin header validation on okay. EOS. You're talking about the Bitcoin header validations? Yeah, that, that's inter-blockchain communication to Bitcoin. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's, it's kind of one way. Bitcoin doesn't support going the other way, but it does allow you to automate deposits uh, from Bitcoin in a trustless manner. Great. Proof of burn is, is another thing that enables. And, and I, proof I of what? Proof of burn. Proof of burn. If, if, if you wanted to but, issue a token based on burning Bitcoin, or if you wanted to do right. governance and block production based on burning Bitcoin. Uh, okay, you just reminded me. What, what did the burn stake emojis mean? The fire yeah. and the stake. Cheney had a bet with uh, Ash Oro about this, actually. What the, let's go back to the emojis, Dan. We want to know what the heck these emo that, that particular one was meant because we never really got an answer early, to that. Early on, before we had the voice branding lockdown, we were considering branding around fire. Uh, okay. So it was, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, understood. Well, how, how did it feel at that time having everyone, including myself, <laughs> speculating every emoji you would write, <laughs> overanalyzing it to the tenth degree? That was a fun there, time. Yeah, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it, Dan. We, we, we enjoyed we, it. It was, it was a fun game. Any any time you want to share more fun information that you can't quite give, we'll 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 take whatever we can get in those mm -hmm. cases. So I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll say, I'll say, All right, one more question before we get into our plan topics. Well, no, shower no. coin, Dan. Uh, what what the heck was the shower thoughts? Are you able? Like, is this? Did anything ever happen from that, or was it just an idea you had? Are you still taking showers, Dan? How, how nice it. is your shower? Is it a really big shower you can get comfy in and like cozy, and you sit there for hours? Come on. No. 
All right. Well, I, I can share a little bit more about yes, uh, good about the idea behind that. Um, the idea is if you have a device, and that device is basically a hardware key um, that allows you to simultaneously um, sign a message, basically with key attestation, all in hardware. Imagine if your phone could verify a message coming from another phone and that phone decremented its balance and therefore your phone increments its balance, right? So the key there is to make sure that neither phone can roll back and get their old balances, right? Um, and that can be achieved with things like secure enclave by uh, encrypting your new state to a new key and then deleting the old key from the enclave. You can't get the old key back. You've incremented your state. And so you can have one-way functions on phones, which is great. Each phone is kind of like its own blockchain. And now you need to know that if I'm receiving a message from another phone, that, it's, um, that it actually is coming from that phone and not something that's actually able to go back. Um, and with things like Apple's recent uh, key attestation service, so you can now get attested messages from apps uh, you can now that combined with the enclave and other cryptographic techniques can allow you to transfer tokens from device to device uh, without any blockchain, you know, entirely over Bluetooth or without know, the internet even. Use, without the internet, just QR codes back and forth. You can transfer tokens from device to device. That makes it infinitely scalable. Now you can apply this exact same thing to Bitcoin. Imagine if instead of sending token balances, you were transferring pri private keys. If I could get your private key, and mm. I know from attestation that you don't have access to your private key, um, I can verify that the funds, the bitcoins, are still out there. I can now transfer that key, receive it, uh, and know that I've got control of the bitcoin. Now, unless you happen to be someone who I suspect might be able to, you know, hack iOS, jailbreak their phone, go through all the code scrambling on the device, get into the secure enclave, yada, yada, yada. Hmm. I've got reasonable assurances that you're not going to be able to, to double spend or that you still don't have that private key. And now we can move EOS, we can use Bitcoin, we can uh, do all kinds of things in an infinitely scalable, completely private, transaction fee-free way. Uh, and that was the heart of shower coin any follow any follow any follow up on that or? Note on their phone i remember that now yeah all right we get back on topic cheney i, I got my questions i've been hey, holding back for two years out of the way we're almost we're at the miscellaneous we're almost to the to the uh the reddit finder the reddit uh questions from from the users <laughs> here so uh i guess uh I, you probably can't i'll ask anything new to tell us about either meos or eos x or were those just dead uh Dead uh, handles or dead uh, trademarks. I found trademarks. them on the. I found them on justia.com. I uncovered those for the community. Amios was an early code name for for voice. Okay. Notice he didn't say anything about EOSX yet. We'll just let that go. Um, has your vision for EOS prior to launch changed significantly? So your your vision, you know what? Yeah. Have you changed, or has EOS changed, or are you still focused on 
uh, you still think it's, it's working as intended. What, what's your thoughts there on the vision? Um, well, my vision for EOS was to build a community that would allow us to come together and, and grant each other property rights, enforce property rights, resolve disputes. Um, so I, I still have that vision uh, at a higher level, at the app level. Uh, so now the, the vision for EOS is to create a stable, decentralized um, uh, system for building those higher level apps. So it's really about improving the usability of um, of ES application development, That's, um, and and improving the quality of the block producers uh, in terms of uh, being big organizations with lots of reputation behind them, so that you know that there's not a a secret cartel. Now maybe you assume that all the major companies in the world are a giant cartel under the World Economic Forum, but that's a, a separate matter. Yeah. Okay. That's, so that's life. I've, I've been simmering on this question for two years, or at least probably close to two years. Um, the prominent board, or I don't know if they're on the board, they're investors. So uh, 2018, there is the big announcement with Peter Thiel, Jihan Wu, Louis, Louis Bacon. What is their role? Are they just strictly investors in Block One, or do they have any role in any decisions that the company makes outside of just being investors? Well, they're all uh, minority holders, so they don't have like decision-making power within Block One. But they are um, nevertheless strategic investors. It's not just uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so they are doing things, but so, uh, that's about all. Right. More. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that they have a they have a role. We just can't talk about it. It might be safe to say. Yes. So that kind of ties in. I'll, I'll, I'll hit Reddit here real quick. Shamith888 uh, from Reddit. B1 has a fiduciary duty to act in the best interest of its equity investors. How does that interest align with the interest of EOS token holders? Um, and what happens when the equity investors and the token holders necessarily don't align? Um, well, go ahead. How does any individual in the community get aligned with the EOS token holders? We all have tokens. We all care about seeing that be successful. Block One has brand uh, value that's tied up in it, so it's it's brand, it's economic value in the in the massive stake of EOS tokens we have, and that aligns the interest of the uh, B1 shareholders in the EOS network. We would not be doing all the things we're doing for the EOS network if, if it wasn't in our interest to to see it grow and thrive, both financially and reputationally. Okay, I think we've answered some of these. EOS Authority asked about the new resource model. Brett Collins, what is Block One's plan to help grow the EOS mainnet? I think we probably covered that. Yeah, we've got that. Uh, MaxoCoin, <clears throat> and this is not necessarily talking about um, uh, uh, the EOS uh, roadmap. He says, what is holding B1 back from publishing a technical roadmap, an EOSIO technical roadmap? Uh, and I don't know that you, you don't kind of do that a little bit via, via GitHub, but can we see a technical roadmap in the future? <laughs> we talk about it frequently internally. Like we, the number of different things that are moving on inside, they've got all these different... GitHub is great because you get to see a lot of the stuff that we're working on in different repos and different branches. Uh, and 
there's, there's a lot of different competing priorities uh, of things. A lot of stuff is research, right? So a roadmap says that we know we're going to be able to get here at a particular date and time, and this is what we're going to deliver. But when you're talking about consensus algorithms or even scaling performance, uh, going adding disk-based backing, there's lots of variables there that make it uncertain. So whereas Ethereum will promise you a roadmap and then uh, keep missing it and kicking the can down the road, we kind of show you what we have on GitHub each day and we're making progress toward increasing decentralization and improving usability, improving performance and things like that. And we did that with our strategic vision back in B1 June. Uh, and all those things, like we recently reviewed it and we've made progress on every single item in this strategic vision or, or most of them. Uh, so things are happening uh, and they're progressing. And when the technology is ready and the code's ready and everything like that, we, we release it. Um, and we tend to batch things up. And I think that's that can be problematic because the long pole intent can delay a lot of things. Right? We've had a lot of features done for uh, three to six months already uh, that are being held up by bigger features that haven't quite gotten complete yet. So they're not being held up by peer review? <laughs> yes, yes. There's an, element peer, there's an element of peer review and there's also an element of, of getting the community to, to review these things. But uh, we are very interested in getting more community engagement, uh, doing more bounties, things like that. But you know, that's there's as far as community engagement. As far as community engagement, I mean, I just want to. I said it at the beginning. I'll say it at the end. I'm sure. But thank you so much for all of this time today. This is the most uh, amazing thing that you could probably probably give to the community at this point is this open conversation. So I just want to get that out of the way so I don't forget. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Crypto. No, appreciate this. Said, you know, we talked about wrapping B1's uh, Bitcoin uh, onto EOS, but she went a little bit further, and maybe it ties back to what Zach said. Would you consider using the billions that B1 has in treasury bonds to create a stable coin? Based on our previous discussion, it's probably not necessary, but would you ever consider that? You're just going to have to wait and see. <laughs> well, oh. well, okay. I like that. Um this is kind of a troll one. I won't even go into that one. We're going to ignore the troll ones. Okay, this is this is actually a comment I've heard from multiple people, Dan, and I know you know that Brendan has tried to maybe address it a few ways. Maybe I can get your take on it. Uh, this is from Steve Fevitz uh, on Reddit. Why does EOS VC money seem to go to projects that are not built on EOS or even EOS IO in some cases? If the money comes from EOS investors, why not put that money on the EOS mainnet? Oh, wait, we're not on that. Oh, no, I'm not sharing. This is All right, I'll hide that. I, I couldn't see what you had up there. <laughs> um, well, the EOS people who uh, purchased the EOS tokens, they got their EOS tokens. They got the software. They can produce the network. They've already received everything. We, we sold EOS to the community. The community now has it. They're not, in, you know, it's not their, um, it's, it's not a security, right? <laughs> So we said that the proceeds would be the revenue of block one sure. and so forth. We committed to invest a billion in, in EOSIO related projects. And we are doing that, but you know, we also are investing in lots of other projects, all of which serve to, uh, I guess, enhance the broader vision of, of free market solutions uh, and building the infrastructure necessary for doing things. But 
Have you considered uh, rebrand, yeah, rebranding it then to the V1 VC fund or something along those lines? Because, I mean, it is a little bit of a, a misnomer if that's the case. It's it's an right. EOS-funded so, VC fund because you got it from the EOS crowd sale, but it's not necessarily going to companies that are building or have anything to do with EOS. And I mean, there's there's companies that are yeah. building games on Ethereum. There's other things that are happening. I, I just that's, that's an area where... I, I don't even know all the different things that are going on in that. That's a whole different aspect of okay. the company. Understood. Drill Sergeant Zeus from Telegram says, tell Dan he's the boss and give him my love. So you got some Drill Sergeant love there. <laughs> I just thought I'd pass that Thank on. Thank you. Uh, Ag from Telegram just wants to know how satisfied you are with EOS today. Um, and uh, what one thing would you improve if you could? Uh, the without, one thing I would improve is go ahead. I, I would have had the resource model adopted nine months ago when the code was, or a year ago when the code was originally released. Um, and I, I would accelerate the process through which things go through community review and adoption. Uh, but I think that the community as a whole, Block 1-2 is going slower than necessary, that uh, we, we could be moving much faster. Um, but we've stumbled into the same problem Ethereum's had. Right, back when we were developing EOS, I said, they've got a plane in midair and they're trying to change out the engine. Mm-hmm. Now our plane's in midair and so things are slowing down. Fortunately, our engine is a little bit more dynamic and flexible and easier to change on the fly. Um, but we, we could do a better job as a community of adopting the solutions uh, faster so that we don't suffer with account creation problems or resource problems any longer than necessary. Question and and I don't think it was possible. Maybe it wasn't. Well, why didn't V1 back in that crunch back when we were looking for solutions? Why didn't you unstake your your uh, CPU and stake it to net and and you know free up that that CPU and not because you're the you're one of the major reservers if I remember correctly of unutilized CPU. Am I right? Um, you yes. being V1. I, I think primarily, like I said earlier. There's already so much spam. We don't need to make it cheaper. That's not the problem. There's never a problem of cost. Okay. Uh, all we would have done then is is given more free bandwidth to other people. Uh, and there's long-term cost associated with growing, you know, keeping some powder dry, but not putting that CPU on the market uh, actually helped contain the spam. Red Eyes from Telegram wants to know if the new financial product will be built on, and this is B1s, I assume. He says new financial. I assume he means B1's new financial product will be built on EOS or a private chain hash back to EOS. You'll have to wait to, to see. He also said... This year? <laughs> quite possibly. Okay. He also asked, for old time's sake, when moon. Um Usually it's it's what no, six seven hours Dan I think that's the normal response. <laughs> I have to ask Google. Ask Google. That's right. Ask Google. Uh, I think most of these um, here is one more, but most of these have already been answered. Uh, what DAP idea really excites you the most? And uh, and if you aren't building it, what what should we be building? Yeah. Great question. This is from Vincent, nine four. All right. Uh, I think uh, a justice insurance or justice mutual aid 
society. Um, the idea there is that if uh, government violates your rights, uh, the community comes and has your back, funds your legal defense, um, and it allows people to come together around that. And so you can you can buy insurance uh, and then uh, have dispute resolution and whole community vetting that you actually do qualify for for a payout. But I think that uh, that type of mutual aid society is what's necessary to have people come together to stand against uh, violation of our rights. Um, and I've, I've long been an advocate of that type of thing. The challenge always boils down to the governance problem. Mm-hmm. How do you put in charge? How do you prevent the system from being abused? And that's, that's what I'm spending a lot of time thinking about, particularly with the hierarchical representative voting, uh, political playoffs or whatever you have it. Um, that's, that's a big mm-hmm. part of it. And identity is a big part of it. Voting well, systems uh, are a big part of it. I just want to let the audience on. Oh, I just want to let the audience know that there's a great video of Dan. I don't even know what year it's from, but you have a mutual aid insurance video from like your BitShares days. I'll have to put a link in the description for that. But I highly recommend if you hear this mutual aid insurance, you're wondering what the heck this is. uh, I'll I'll put a link in the description afterwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the hierarchical representative governance is a way of picking the judges for that. And I think that that's that's potential to be breakthrough. for that particular application. Uh, the stuff we're doing with voice could create the, the foundation of unique identity and verifiable identity uh, that's that's required to scale that up. So um, that, that, that question right there feeds right into Vincent's uh, next question. As governments start to move forward with the development of digital identities, do you think voice and your patented solution will eventually be used by governments that don't have their own ID systems? Well, yeah, we've already been playing with technologies to verify passport signatures directly. Imagine being able to secure your account with your passport's private key. All of our passports have private keys in them these days. And you can then verify that it actually is issued by the government in question. Uh, and that could be a very interesting way of leveraging government identity onto uh, blockchain-based identity. Um, even doing so without disclosing your actual identity, just disclosing that you've got a public key that is certified to be a U.S. citizen or a EU citizen or whatever the case may be. Um, just like the Federal Reserve can print money, governments can print passports, though. So isn't that, a, a, yes. a, in a way, a point of failure here? It is, which is why all identity is, lives in the relationship between people uh, mm-hmm. and that you need a, a way to challenge identity. So if I think you're civil attack, I should be able to uh, say your account's fake and then you, you come on trial. We do a video conference with, with 10 randomly selected people. And if you can't show up simultaneously with the other you, uh, then mm-hmm. then we verify it and then we kick you out and we punish you. Uh, there's some kind of staking uh, behind your reputation so you have something to lose. Uh, so there's, there's lots of things like that that can be done to verify it, but it all boils down to building a justice system, a dispute resolution system, a penalty system to slash funds or to, to hold people accountable. Uh, here's another one. Josh asks if you ever kind of regret taking a, a more aggressive stance on Ethereum and these other chains and pointing out they're, they're wrong, the things that are wrong or they aren't going to work quite like you, like you envision, like you see the, the flaws in them instead of taking more, uh, uh, 
conciliatory approach like Polkadot is. And, and even though Polkadot seems to be somewhat similar to, to EOS and its mechanisms for a scaling solution, they're doing it and they're coming across more as a hand-in-hand uh, -hand approach versus a, 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 I would say aggressive, but, but a, so, a very straightforward approach. It has to do with their origins, right? Sure. They came out of the Ethereum community, so they associate it with their identity. Uh, and they, they can't attack the Ethereum community without attacking their past decisions. Um, <laughs> so it'd be like me blasting BitShares or, or Steam. Now, I, I will call them out because I tend to focus on, well, let's just look at the facts, let's look at the technical and things like that. It's nothing personal. Like I don't have anything personally against Ethereum. Uh, I just try to highlight it's not scaling. It has these faults. And... and people are believing things about it that are, aren't true. Um, and so to that extent, I'm, I'm pursuing truth. And the reality is Ethereum is valued as money, same reason Bitcoin is valued as money. Its value has nothing to do with its technological capabilities. And I'd even argue that EOS's value has nothing to do with its technological capabilities. Um, I guess that, sometimes the truth hurts and it hurts their pocketbooks. And, and it, was there a situation where we could have caught wheat? We could we could have you proposed EOS as a, a better scaling solution if we'd use the honey to catch the flies along the way, if you will. You know the the, the I think it's there's animosity. There. I think it's the difference between so is marketed as an Ethereum killer rather than an Ethereum I, enabler. I don't know if that was ever done by Block One or anybody else. That was that was an article that came out. People ran with it. If I'm wrong, mm -hmm. and please let me know. Yeah, that, yeah, the community largely did that. We largely presented the strengths. We showed, we, we, you know, you have to do compare and contrast. Like why EOS's very justification for existence was the fact that Ethereum was unfit. It was unable to solve the things. Like EOS's identity was born out of the weaknesses of Ethereum. Um, if Ethereum could do everything EOS could do, there'd been no reason to You're create okay. EOS in the first place. Sure. Right. And so mm -hmm. uh, it, it naturally lends itself to the, the tribal impulses when you start showing hey you know ethereum's proof of work and that's terribly inefficient look at all this energy being wasted it's slow and all these other things they're all true statements um but uh it does impact anyone whose identity is tied up into it and so if you're like blasting people you're not really you're really just trying to call their attention to the fact that you're as long as you acknowledge you're investing in, in ethereum uh, because it, you think it's a currency and you speculate on the currency value, fine. But if you're trying to say that Ethereum is going to be the technological uh, solution to everything and it's going to scale and uh, it's going to enable all these DeFi things, uh, that's that's living in a delusion. Right. Um, and and that that's people take it personally because you're challenging their worldview. You're challenging their investment thesis. Right. If Ethereum's not doing X, Y, and Z, and I believe I'm invested in Ethereum because I believe that, then, then you're threatening me. But if you're investing in Ethereum because it's a currency and you're speculating on it, just like Bitcoin, then the fact that Ethereum has technological limitations is, is not even an issue for you. Yeah, I want to address a few things in the chat. Dan's a busy guy. You know, he's he's building here. Uh, he can't track all the all the EOS projects and, and DApps that are that are being built. He, he, you know, I remember he may remember some about POS. He may remember some things about other projects. Uh, he mentioned IQ earlier, but 
you know, Liquid Apps, Vigor, uh, DeFi Box, some of these other projects that are that are relatively newer. He's not going to be able to answer questions about guys, so don't don't expect him. But to I can I can, I can speak to them in broad generalities. They're great I, projects. I, I am familiar with Vigor in, in the sense that I know that it exists. I know what they're broadly trying to do. But to understand all these things, is it's a research project in its own right. It would take a day to go and digest the right. Each project, the white papers, and process all the nuances and translate it from their jargon into. The do you have staff at right? Block One whose role is to do that to see who's building what on EOSIO chains and to kind of report back to someone else of all of this stuff happening? We have people looking at a lot of projects doing competitive analysis and things like that, but uh, they, they can barely scratch the surface because to really dig into the, the nuts and bolts of, of these things requires a skill that most people don't have, right? You know, it's like I used to uh, write blog posts where I'd identify the Ponzi scheme that Newbits was. Now, I don't know if you remember Newbits, but it was supposed to be pegged to the dollar, and I basically called them out saying, it's not going to work. It's not going to peg and, and so forth. I got a lot of heat for, for offering my review and doing peer reviews of other people's work uh, for, for doing all those things. It's kind of like no real payoff um, from, from my game. perspective of, of mm -hmm. digging in enough to figure out what's wrong with all these things. Um, I, I, can, I can tell you that in general, anything that's promising above about a 5% annual return is either extremely risky or unsustainable. Um, you know, Ponzi schemes everywhere have outsized returns. There's hidden risks in these algorithms, uh, or they're they're leveraging a speculative bubble in order to create apparent returns in the short term. Yeah, uh, and this type of problem exists throughout the entire DeFi space, um, and the economic fallacies that are so easy to to implement uh, are just occurring all over the place. So I'd say, generally speaking, even the most well-intentioned projects out there are likely to have um, high risks associated with it. Sure. I'm so scrolling through the chat. I, I got one. Go so uh, you, you, you've used the word DeFi multiple times. You want to just uh, give us a summary of kind of your thoughts on the DeFi ecosystem as a whole? and where you see it going in the future and maybe even what EOS's role could be in that? Well, DeFi is effectively allowing smart contracts to govern assets. It's basically um, creating futures and re-implementing the current financial system in the blockchain space. A lot of DeFi these days are focused around stable coins or exchanging risks uh, and uh, prediction markets and, and things like that. So there's nothing new in DeFi other than moving centralized systems onto uh, a transparent ledger, um, making them deterministic. But you can implement Ponzi schemes and all kinds of frauds in a decentralized manner and call it DeFi as mm -hmm. well, right? So just because it's on a blockchain does not mean it's trustworthy. It might be provably corrupt. Um, a voice article about financial integrity. How, how does mm -hmm. that kind of fit into all of this and maybe even the financial product that we don't really know much about yeah. yet? And so financial integrity is really about making sure that um, you model 
digital assets like you would physical things. They can only exist or be promised to be in one place and time, right? They can one place at a time. So you can't borrow short and lend long. Um, you can't assume two things are equal. Like you can't compare apples and oranges, right? And if they have different risks at uh, different times, they're not the same. For example, a promise to pay you a dollar's worth of food is very different than the promise to pay you food, right? <laughs> uh, but if you make them equivalent, uh, you have a problem. Uh, if you try to make a, try to provide a system with leverage and pretend that it's 100% reserve backed, it can't be, right? There's, uh, I guess, if you're borrowing money from someone for 30 years and someone else hasn't locked up for 30 years, there's something going on that's that's out of alignment, right? You violated mm -hmm. physical reality uh, in a game of musical chairs, right? So having financial integrity means making sure that if the music stops, everyone has a seat, right? Uh, and a lot of the cryptocurrency exchanges and things out there, um, they have hidden leverage. Like you have a deposit with them. They say you have a Bitcoin, but if they're allowing leverage trading, that Bitcoin just an IOU from the exchange. It's not a hundred percent reserve backed IOU. They're taking risks that in theory are safe, but if they blow up, your Bitcoin's gone, even if they're not hacked. It might be a long tail risk. It might be require crazy volatility, but there is a difference between a gold note uh, and a gold receipt, right? If you do a hundred percent reserve gold receipt is back. There's an ounce of gold there. A gold note is I owe you uh, an ounce of gold, but I've got collateral at somebody's house. Uh, that's that's a very mm -hmm. different thing. And if you try to make the, the note and the receipt equal, well, they might be the same price 99% of the time, but if the housing market crashes and the mortgage defaults, they've got very different prices at that point in time. So financials integrity is about making sure that uh, all the numbers add up and that things only exist in one place at one time. That's what Bitcoin does. It provides financial integrity over the supply. We know that there are exactly this many Bitcoin. Uh, it's what EOS does uh, for voting and for the EOS token supply. Um, but yeah. Man, I'm just trying to poke around to figure out what this financial product is. Um, <laughs> could you tell us who the target demographic is? It is it enterprise, is it uh, financial institutions, is it, is it people like me and Cheney? Like, who is this product for? Wait and see. Yeah. Ah. So, in, in the in the chat here, uh, you mentioned that the longest tentpole earlier when it comes to doing updates. So, the question came out: Why don't you batch the updates a little bit more? Why don't you break the updates apart, or are they, they are they so integrated that you can't can't do that in some cases? Well, hard forks are a major burden on the community, so you want to have all full nodes okay. upgrade only so the, about once a year, anyway. So, there's strong strong incentive to minimize the number of of hard forking upgrades uh, to okay. minimize the amount Makes of coordination sense. between everyone. Got it. Okay. Well, we, we, we just about got through all these questions. So I'll throw it out there uh, yeah. here at the end. My earbuds uh, are about to die any second yeah. now. All right. So. all right. Well, maybe this is a good time. Voting. All right. You mentioned you want one token, one vote. Uh, we had Brendan Bloomer out there saying that, that uh, let's see. Why don't you vote for those who support the vision desired and changes? The community is actually aligned with B1 and supportive of the change. The block producers appear to be the issue uh, with respect to one token, one vote. And Brennan says on July 28th, that's exactly our plan. 
can you give us any more details about the implementation? Mm. Well, block like I can tell you that we've implemented code that makes it a parameter so that it's very easy to change from one token, one vote to one token, 30 votes or 50 votes. Uh, and the idea is that we can solve one issue at a time. Let's get the staking system in place and then we can uh, have a discussion about uh, reducing the number of votes um, that each person gets and gradually reducing it over time. Uh, so there's the code is flexible enough to do it either way. Um, or at least that's how I've requested it to be built. I don't think anybody's concerned about, about the code. Uh, it's just about getting it. So, so in terms of getting adoption, I, I think that the block producers are ultimately aligned with the success of EOS as a whole. And that the EOS community, uh, you know, once the code's out there, once test nets prove that it works and all those things, and once block one uh, starts voting in a certain way, it'll be very obvious and people want to get on board for the benefit of the EOS token price that their block producers are paid in. Um, so one token, one vote, I think go a long way <coughs> to keeping things decentralized. Um, the, ironically, it will reduce block one's influence on the network going to one token, one vote. Um, so that's a sign of how it does uh, decentralize things a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, you can make some pretty big impact across a few, but you can't make that, that 10, yeah, 100 million since, uh, token impact across everybody. Since we're almost out of time, uh, since this is very community oriented, it's an ode to the community. This is not an endorsement of anyone, but is there anyone from the community? And like I said, this is not an endorsement because I know you haven't audited their code. You don't know about security vulnerabilities. Are you able to shout anyone out? You shouted out Gray Mass already once. Who else in the community kind of stands out that's interesting to you, even though you're not endorsing them? Oh, his earbuds died, Zach. Sorry, he's, he, he's gone there. Oh, man. He looks like he's just in deep thought. <laughs> oh, there he is. He's there. <laughs> I'm here. I'm just trying to figure out what the shout outs are on the side of the question for me. He wasn't prepared for this, guys. So sorry. All right, we we could just <laughs> we can move on. I, I I get the position he's in. He he's he's kind of. I I get the reason we can't really. Well, I will him. I will ask one more request for you for you, Dan. Go out and hit up Kevin Rose and tell him we want to hear more about the PVE, what the PVE is doing. Have him come on the show uh, at some point in the future and and discuss with the community because honestly. We see a little bit in Telegram, but we don't, and, and we know that you're, he's supposed to be working with the block producers and getting some community relations going up, but, uh, and he's talking to the public blockchains, but he's, you know, we, we would like some engagement for those of us that maybe aren't a, 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 a block producer, maybe aren't in a project. So we would just like to have an interview I'm, with him. I'm sure he's watching this, and... Oh. He'll hear, he hear your request, man. Yeah, okay. There you go. I, 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 know, I, know that, I know that they're they're actively engaging and uh, I'm, ramping I'm, up to increase the engagement. Throwing them under the bus a little bit. He and I talk occasionally, so there you go. Can we get a commitment that you'll be back on the show again, Dan? Maybe every quarter, every half year. <laughs> will you come back on and hang out with us? Sure, I'll come back on. All right. We, we appreciate right. your time today, Dan. That was two and a half hours of, of unedited, unfiltered Dan. 
we really appreciate you here. Dan, we usually end the show. We're not going to end the show today because we're going to bring in some people from the community to talk here. So guys, stay on. We're going to put... No, um, we, had a, we had a plan to sign off. I know. We're going to put some information in the chat, but we are going to end with the Goyo. So Dan, uh, when we sign off here, guys, we're going to put out there the, the, the Zoom call. We're going to bring in a few people from the community for a few minutes at a time and let us know what you thought about today. But we're going to let Dan go and get on with this day and keep building on EOS. So, Dan, we typically end with the Go EOS. Maybe a little fist bump here, if you don't mind. All right. Yeah. On the EOS, right? All right. Oh. One, two, One, two three. three. Go EOS. Go EOS. All right. All Thank right. you, Dan. Thank you, we really appreciate so your time. Great. Great. Thanks for the opportunity. Great, thanks for the app. 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 Great, thanks.